You're listening to Fanholes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Sally Floyd, Frontline News, Mr. Bavaro. Let me ask you something, sir. Do you know what MySpace is? Me, Bizarro. Not sure me understand relevance of such outdated questions, Sally. No, you just don't understand the question, sir. I'm trying to illustrate a point here, so bear with me. Do you know who won the last World Series? Or who won the last American Idol? When was the last time you listened to Fanholes, the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans? Answer? You not am pretty as Louise, Miss Floyd. You am also very, very bizarro smart. Exactly. Hey guys, welcome back to another Civil War-tastic episode of Fanholes Podcast. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek. Derek W.C., I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and joining me tonight are two of my fellow fan holes here to celebrate Captain America Civil War opening as you are listening to this podcast, so why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know whose side you're on. Hi, it's uh, Mike, and I appear to have knocked a couple buildings over, so I surrender. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is Justin. Hey, what's up, guys? So, yeah, if you haven't figured it out, on May 6, 2016, is the release date of Marvel's cinematic tour de force, Captain America Civil War, a showdown between Iron Man and Captain America, battling ideologies. And one of the suggestions from our fellow fan hole, Mike, was that we should revisit the Civil War miniseries that the film is inspired by as sort of a tie-in. And my suggestion was that Civil War sucks major ass, and we should actually look at something that Mark Millar's wrote that I don't hate its guts with the burning passion of a thousand suns. So I suggested for the second half of this show that we look at Mark Millar's run on Superman Adventures, because I wanted to sort of end it with like a happy thing. But as far as this initial segment, I'll just preface for myself I don't really care for this entire event, and and it was kind of like, it it was interesting for me because sometimes, like, there are, like, say, like, like Shag on the Fire and Water podcast, he's got this sort of philosophy about finding your joy in comics, so, like, find that era of comics that you like and stay away from the stuff that, you know, rubs you the wrong way or you're just not feeling it, right? 
But I think in this case, this is like one of our oldest segments on the Fan Holes podcast, which is Someplace Cold, which is basically a chance for all of us to sort of vent and kvetch about something that is, you know, maybe not to our liking, but we still love comics, you know, we still love the genre and the characters and all that kind of stuff, and we're still passionate about it, it's just, you know, this, I, at least for me, I, I can't speak for the other two fan holes, but at least for me, this kind of event where it is a sort of a polarizing, you know, setting and, 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 you know, the, the the way that everything was at the time, you know, the backdrop of actual events in real life, it was a, it was a way to sort of, I guess, mimic those, but in, in sort of a superheroic event. And I guess for some people, you know, this is their first introduction to the Marvel Universe. Some people became fans because they read this event, you know. And, you know, I guess me, you know, I'm sort of more of a long-time comics reader, and I've read comics for a lot longer than that, so obviously this wasn't my introduction to any of the characters, thank God. And, you know, I, I, I didn't really care for it too much. So I, I think in this sense, like, this isn't going to be so much about finding our joy as it is, like, Give in to your anger, you know, and like just kind of <laughs> vent and, and rage about, you know, what what our take on uh, Marvel Civil War is. But I mean, I, I I didn't really prepare a synopsis per se because I figure everybody's read this fucking thing. I mean, basically, there's this, you know, sort of nine eleven, you know, specifically like trying to sort of poke the the uh, beehive of you know, people's feelings on, on certain high-level, you know, events in real history. But there's this sort of 9-11 level event in a city of Stamford. And, you know, the basic gist of it is that about what, like, what is it, like 600 people or something? I forget what the numbers are. Whatever it is, it's like this this large number. Hundreds of people are killed in this event between, you know, a superheroic group and some supervillains, and among those, you know, hundreds, you know, 60 dead are children, it's by a schoolyard, you know, all this terrible stuff has gone down because of it, and then you end up having these two opposing philosophies, or these two different camps, where you've got Iron Man in the one camp basically campaigning for passing registration of superheroes, you know, having them trained, having them you know, held responsible for any actions that occur as a result of their superheroic activities. And then you've got Captain America on the other side, who is basically against registration. He's more kind of, you know, small government type guy where, you know, he doesn't want people to uh, be, he, he doesn't want the end result of registration to be enlistment and, you know, forced you know, conscription, basically. And and those are the two opposing ideologies that are kind of, you know, being played back and forth in this miniseries. And, you know, it's, it's a six-issue miniseries, and it was a, a line-wide event. So you had the introduction of all kinds of tie-in miniseries, and basically all the big books at the time dealt with it. It heavily affected Amazing Spider-Man. There were you know, tons of tie-ins to Wolverine and Fantastic Four and Captain America and Iron Man and Ms. Marvel, and there was a Civil War Frontline spin-off miniseries, side series, and, and just all these kinds of one-shots and different things that were going on. I, myself, in preparation for the podcast, 
I reread the whole fucking thing, like, and, you know, I, I'm still not a big fan of it, but I'm willing to discuss any topics. I, I didn't know you, you know, were into, like, masochism. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. But no, I just, I wanted to remember, because it's like, you know how, like, sometimes you read something, and it's, like, really terrible, and you just, like, I, I really had put Civil War behind me. So that's why I was, like, yelling at Justin before we started recording this. Like, I was like, you fuckers made me reread this whole thing, you know? And I was like, I, I just wanted to remind myself, like, you know, what it was, you know, and, and, and almost the the, the kind of climate, you know, that, that spawned something like this, you know? Because I, what's funny is, like, I think a lot of the criticism that would be leveled at somebody like Mark Millar would be that, this doesn't hold up. It's a product of its time, and certain characters are not even characterized as you would normally think that they should be or would be characterized. But what's funny is, I mean, even in some of the Marvel promotional material that I ended up reading in preparation for this, I mean, there's actual interviews where he's like, oh, I don't care that it, you know, that it's not it's going to be dated in a couple years from now, you know, like, I want it to be dated. Want it to be fucking dated, you know, and it's just like, I don't know, you can't, I, I, I can't argue with that, you know, like, I, it's like, all right, fine, like, you're right, this is totally fucking dated, and it's a product of its time, and what, what I think is funny is, and I guess I'll ask you guys this question is, I think the movie version of Civil War is going to play much differently than the comic version just because of the climate we're in, you know, like, because, you know, I mean, and it, like, I loathe to bring it up, but it's like, you know, there, there are different political administrations, what people would have been against back in one administration, they'll actually be for in a current administration, which cracks me up because, you know, it's all kind of flippy floppy and, you know, politics are like the wind and the weather ever changing, you know, and that kind of thing. And and I, I just think like a movie like Captain America Civil War is probably going to play a lot better, at least to me, I'm guessing, than this actual miniseries did to me at the time. But I'm, I'm curious, like what you guys think of that kind of thought or statement. I, I agree. And I feel like Every time they try to adapt Civil War, whether it be, like, in this upcoming movie or uh, the video game, like, Ultimate Alliance 2, it's like, they change, like, a whole lot of it, like, it seems like, or try to make elements of it either less political and, like, more palatable, and, like, yeah, like, I definitely agree that, like, you know, the politics of the, the series, I, I don't know, do seem, like, of very much of their day, basically, well, it also it also seems like they're not only just of their day, but of any given writer who's writing whatever book you're following at the time. Because, I mean, I, I don't think you'd be able to argue that, you know, most of the people writing the Marvel comics during this era are very left-leaning. But what's funny is, even in between the different books, you kind of wonder, like, what do the characters represent and what are they supposed to stand for? And and I think, like, there were common criticisms at the time leveled at J. Michael Straczynski during the Amazing Spider-Man tie-ins because, I mean, I think, like, the way this was sort of pitched and sold, you know, to the readers and everything, the, the consumers, the customers, was that this was going to be like a... I, I don't know, not necessarily a fun thing, but, I mean, I guess a superhero brawl is traditionally fun, but, I mean, it seemed to 
bring in all these real-world elements that somehow nobody had ever considered before. Like, but it also felt kind of hollow. I mean, I, I guess we should talk about, like, specifics and not be vague in general, but, I mean, you know, the idea that, you know, you had this, this sort of 9-11 level event in Stanford. I mean, that's what it kicks off with. I mean, the, you know, the first issue basically kicks off with the New Warriors. And, like, I know Brian's not here, but, I mean, I, I kind of feel a kinship with Brian in terms of the characters from the New Warriors. Like, I never really thought of them as Z-list characters or second stringers or disposable, but that's kind of what they are here. I mean, at this point in time, they were on their third volume. Like, actually, like, in the middle of rereading, you said I was kind of masochistic to, to reread the entire event. Like, I started reading all the tie-ins, and then when I got to the first few pages, I couldn't go any further. Like, I had to stop, because I was, like, so disgusted. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back and reread New Warriors Volume 3. Because that was the era of New Warriors that they tried to basically assassinate the the characterization of, where they basically, I mean, New Warriors Volume 3 was not the same as, like, the original New Warriors back in the 90s. I mean, it did have the premise of reality TV. Like, you know, but in Civil War, I mean, the New Warriors are kind of presented as these, like, self-obsessed, vain reality TV stars, where they're, like, more concerned with ratings than, like, people's lives or securing escaped super criminals or any of this other kind of stuff. And, like, if you actually read the miniseries, it's by Zeb Wells and Scotty Young, and it's really nothing like that at all. Like, they go from town to town, and for the most part, except for the new characters they introduce, like Microbe, all the existing new warriors, whether it's Night Thrasher or Speedball, and especially Nova and and uh, Namorita, like, they're all pretty competent. I mean, they're fighting guys like Tiger Shark and Armadillo and the Super Apes and Terax and the Sphinx. Like, they're not, like, lightweight guys, you know, like, that they're fighting. And then the other thing that kind of pisses me off, and this is just me being, you know, angry, you know, comic nerd dwelling in his basement or whatever, raging against the world or what have you, but it's like, if you actually read that miniseries... Like, their reality TV show doesn't take off. It's a six-issue miniseries, and by the end of it, it's like, oh, guess what? The Larrys, like, all the suits, like, they did not pick up the New Warriors reality TV show. So they were canceled. So, like, what the fuck are they doing in Stanford for their second season if they were fucking canceled on their first season? <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense like basically like for me like it's funny because a lot of people that are big fans of dc comics will point to this period and era of time when they got disgusted with dc comics and maybe tried to jump over to marvel or tried to do something else outside of the box and i think part of that was due to infinite crisis and what was done to the new warriors they were basically painted as, you know, these vain TV reality stars, and then Namorita, like, punches Nitro into a school bus, and then Nitro explodes, whereas in every previous Marvel appearance, his explosions were about, 
I don't know, the range of a grenade, let's say. In this case, it turned into this Akira-level atomic bomb range blast that blew up, you know, these hundreds of people in the city, right? Including all these school children. And you're just kind of like, okay, like, you've just basically murdered the new warriors and all these other, you know, innocent people, you know, for, for the sake of kicking off this story. And, like, it's very hard to read. Like, you kind of get sick to your stomach. I mean, at least I do. And and what it reminded me of is when I read that first Infinite Crisis, like, prologue, and they had Ted Cord, who was the Blue Beetle at the time, and they had Maxwell Lord shoot him in the head. And it's just, like, one of those things where you're just, like, you have to just stop. Like, it, it's almost like, I don't know, like, they, they just had to make everything too real, you know, like, I, I don't know, that's, that's kind of, like, how I reacted to it, but I, I don't know if anybody else has those same kind of sort of concerns or feelings for the New Warriors, because I know Brian was, you know, the main person who was probably, you'd say, quote-unquote, the biggest New Warriors fan, but I mean, I, I followed at least the first volume for a number of years when it was out in the 90s, and I did read that, you know, miniseries that came out, you know, the previous year before Civil War came out. So I was a fan of both of those, and I just thought it was a little, I don't know, like, you know, it was just one of those things where you're like, oh man, like, you know, they, they I, I don't know, I, I, I just felt like it was sort of character assassination, and, and they, they were, I don't know, sweeping some property under the rug just because maybe it hadn't been performing as well as they would have liked in recent years, but they sort of forgot that it was a series that ran for at least a good five or six years and was a really popular book in the 90s, you know? Like, I, I don't know. It's like, for me at the time, like, I was barely reading any Marvel comics, and I think the straw that broke the camel's back for me was Avengers Disassembled. Like, I thought that was pretty, like, disgusting and insulting as a longtime Avengers fan, and I was like, you know what? I'm done. I, I'm not going to, like... I'm not going to read any more of this guy's Avengers comics, you know. And for a long time, I didn't read any Marvel stuff except for, like, the cosmic stuff that started with Annihilation. So, like, you know, you're talking about that whole area of DC, like, Infinite Crisis level. Like, like for me, like, from, like, I don't know, 2001 up till like, you know, Final Crisis or whatever, to me, that like, that's my golden age of reading DC comics. Like, mm. I, I have a lot of affection for that era. And, like, yeah, there was some stuff I didn't like, you know, like Ted Cord getting shot in the head. Like, I mean, I wasn't all that attached to the character. I hadn't read a whole lot of comics with him, but I was just like, oh, geez, man. Like, I don't want to I don't want to see this kind of stuff. Like, I don't want to see Wonder Woman, like, snap some guy's neck. And I think that whole era, whether it was Marvel or DC, there was a whole lot of, like, real-world, like, nastiness that was creeping into it. Like, characters doing things like... You never thought that they would, and, like, just characters treating each other really nasty and saying, like, you know, a lot of mean things and stuff like that. Like, you know, like, that's not why I read comics. I read comics because I like the characters. I want to be entertained. You know, it's an escape, first and foremost. You know, like, I don't I don't want or need, like, all this, like, nasty headshots and characters being mean just for, like, laughs or whatever. Like, I don't. I don't like that, but it, it seemed like there was more of that in Marvel at the time, and I was kind of like, you know, like pushing it aside, and you know, like I remember at the time when Civil War first was starting up, like all my friends, like they were all Marvel zombies, and you know, like 
I was a DC guy, and they would always be like, oh, he's a DC guy reading his, like, Flash comics or whatever. Like, they would poke fun at me, but, what you know, whatever. But, like, I, I didn't want anything to do with Civil War. Like, I didn't want to choose a side. I was like, this is dumb. Like, this is just a big, dumb event. And then what what finally got me to read it was they were like, you know, Thor's in it. And I was like, hmm. Because uh. I, cause I was like, you know, a big <laughs> Thor fanboy. So I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And then I was like, what? What is this? Like, Thor just killed you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, you got punked. Like, heavily. Uh, yeah. But, but then, like, you know, having that Thor clone kill uh, Black Goliath, that character who... I mean, Derek could probably correct me, but like he was—he was kind of a mort. He had like a limited series in the seventies, and then from my from my perspective, like he went away, like he never showed up again. And it's like, oh, here he is, always oh, dead. And he was—he ju- was just brought back just for that. I mean, it's—it's it's pretty obvious. But like, you know, to, uh, that's that's just more of that like that whole nastiness that I I remember. I remember being in the comic store at the time and and the guys that would read the books like especially the like one of the the cashiers was a cool guy who we would see every week and and he's a you know a black gentleman and then there's the guy Hannibal uh Tabo you know the one that r- writes for the uh CBR or whatever like you would always see him in there like every week you know and he does his whole you know, he'd, he'd pull out, like, a stack of comics, and he does his shtick. You know, he goes through all of them and then decides which ones he actually wants to buy and take home. So, basically, he sits there and, you know, quote-unquote, you know, to use internet slang, he burns steals every comic that month and then decides, okay, I'm going to pay for, you know, five of them or whatever because they make the cut, you know, because they're good or whatever. And, you know, he would always do stuff like that. And I remember him... And and the the cashier and everything, you know, them having that kind of exchange with one another, going, "Oh man, like look what they did to Black Goliath! Like, oh why why has it got to be the brother? You know, like that kind of exchange between the two of them, you know." <laughs> and so there was that element to it, and and you know what I I thought was weird was, and and this is you know, I mean maybe this is more of a um, an indictment of the event mentality and the fact that. I feel like there's not a lot of oversight between editorial people and creators and all this other kind of stuff. But, like, rereading this again, you get a weird vibe. And and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I I conflated and confused certain characters. But it seemed to me that if you just read the Mark Millar miniseries, when Bill Foster gets killed and... Tony Stark pays for the funeral and buries him. It's like he's trying to do the right thing, even though, you know, in in this scenario, this, you know, comic book fantasy scenario where there are these heavy real-world overtones applied to it where it doesn't let you really escape and actually wants to make you think about certain things, you know, acts that are, you know, have gone too far and stuff like that. And, and, And that basically, that event is supposed to be the point where instead of it being quote unquote fair and balanced, you know, where it's like, oh, you can pick Iron Man side, you can pick Captain America side and not feel guilty. At that point, like, you know, there was this big push to villainize, demonize, and sort of, you know, the crossing eyes of fucking Tony Stark in the Civil War thing, where it's like he he basically was being painted as a fascist, a villain, you know, like those kind of things. And like, depending on what you read, like, 
certain books straight up said, you're a fucking fascist. Like, they literally say that. And and other books, you know, it's like the Millar miniseries, I think the mother comes to him and says, oh, well, you know, we don't blame you for the death or anything like that. Like, we know that, you know, you know, you were just doing what, you know, a police officer would do. Which, now you start to wonder, especially given the current climate, like, is that Mark Millar, like, poking the hornet's nest? And then the other thing <laughs> that I started to wonder, too, is then you've got guys like Reginald Hudland, who uh, you guys know is my favorite writer on Black Panther. <laughs> Sarcastically said. Um, but yeah, he, Black he, Panther like, and Spider-Man. Right, right, exactly. But uh, let's just say, like, I, I'm not very fond of his run on Black Panther, and it seems like he's got, you know, either something to prove or a chip on his shoulder or whatever, but in, in those issues, like, it's the complete antithesis. Like, there's grandmas and old ladies and, and mothers and stuff, and they all hate Iron Man's guts, and he's a fascist son of a bitch who killed their little boy, and it's because he was black, and because, you know, like, nobody cares about him, and all this other stuff, and you're just kind of like, whoa! And then, of course, Black Panther shows up, and everybody's like, you're the greatest, man! Like, you're awesome! And, and it's like, oh, okay. Like, and... I, I was just kind of like, wow, that's, you know, like, like it's fine if that's the story that they want to tell. Like, I'm not saying anybody shouldn't tell the story they want to tell, but it's just funny how, like, there are these two completely, to me anyway, reading it again, convergent stories. And, and it's the same thing, I think, with, like, say, Paul Jenkins writing the Frontline book and... JMS writing the Amazing Spider-Man tie-ins and stuff. Like, they all seem to have their own opinions and, and political agendas that they sort of sprinkle into the the stories, and then it just sort of makes this kind of like, not only a, a an event that isn't fun and is sort of drenched in real-world politics, but it, it also makes it kind of convoluted and doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, a lot of the most famous stuff that I remember articles from on CBR is about like snark among fans with continuity. And then the writers like snarking back within the comics. I mean, this like speaking to, I know, I know Mike read some of the amazing Spider-Man tie-ins and stuff to this, but like the first amazing Spider-Man tie-in is 529. And like, I had to reread, I had to like research, what this was, because I had totally wiped it from my memory, but you know an event is bad, or or something's going to be horribly wrong with an event, where the first thing you see is Peter Parker and Tony Stark breaking the fourth wall in a gag about Mary Jane's broken arm, where they're like, oh yes, obviously, oh, yeah. like, it was that whole thing, and I totally forgot about it, and I had to, you know, look it up and go, what was this related to? And it was related to that shitty-ass other event in all the Amazing Spider-Man books, and again, multiple writers, a big-time Marvel event that ran through all the Spider-Man books, and apparently, you know, the artist didn't get the right reference or whatever the excuse is, but, you know, Mary Jane's arm is broken by Morlin in one issue, and then by the time it gets to the JMS issue, her arm is not broken. So then, you know, of course, because, you know, people have brains and they fucking read the comics and point it out. Like, hey, you know, look, this is kind of inconsistent in a genre that is, you know, 
supposedly heralded for, you know, intercontinuity and consistency and all this other kind of stuff. Like, that's kind of what all these people reading it get off on. You know, they kind of point out, hey, isn't it kind of weird? Like, Mary Jane's arm wasn't broken in this other thing. And so it's this almost, you know, it's kind of like a Peter David-esque, you know, jab at, you know, the 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 readers or whatever, but it comes from JMS, basically. And it's just, you know, Tony Stark and Peter Parker eyeballing the reader going, you know, look, who cares about the fucking continuity? See, I just made up some bullshit. Are you happy now? Okay? Like, you know, they're dead, all right? Can I go now? You know, and it's just like, it's just like that's that's what it felt like to me, where, where you know, you've already got people whining about, you know, how they're, they're he- you know, continuity's holding me back, you know, or whatever fucking excuse that people use. So it's like, and then I'm like, but clearly you're taking the paycheck, you know, you're cashing the checks and doing the job. It's like, why don't you just you know, do the fucking job, you know, like, and, and yeah, okay, it's, people... It's make not even, mistake, like, but... yeah, it's not even, like, a huge, like, it's not some, like, continuity thing that happened, like, you know, years and years ago. It's something that happened, like, last week, and, like, they couldn't keep it consistent. Like, the editor, what, what was the editor, like, asleep at the switch? I mean, yeah, yeah. They're, he's, he's giving us the stink eye about it? I mean... Yeah, really. yeah, it's just, and, and that's kind of how, like, to me, like, that's what kind of cracked me up, where it's, like, those kind of things led off this big intercontinuity event. And that's why, like, for me, like like I said, I, I started, like, delving into... I, I got easily distracted when I was doing my big reread of this entire event. Like, instead of reading the actual tie-ins, like, I went and reread New Warriors Volume 3. It's like, like when, um, you know, it's, so. it's like in one of the Plinkett, like, prequel uh, reviews when he's like, it's good to show contempt for your audience. Just ask Michael Bay. Like, <laughs> it's it's like, you know, the whole, like, I don't know, the, the culture of being a comic fan has changed over time. Like, at one point in time, it was, like, encouraged, and it was a big thing to, like, read comics and write letters in and be like, hey, like, I saw this mistake. And they'd be like, oh, like, well, blah, 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 you know, you won. You won a no prize. Hooray. Like, that was a big thing. Like, I remember, like, me and my friends, when we were growing up, we would read comics and, like, looking for mistakes or, like, trying to figure out, like, old continuity and all this stuff. But, like, now it seems like that's turned around completely. And the writers are like, whenever you point out a mistake, whether it's, like, you know, you email them or on comic book resources where you can interact with these guys, it's like, if you point something out, it's like they get like kind of a shitty attitude with you, and it's like it's completely, completely opposite. It's like they don't, it's, you know, it's like that. It's kind of like oh, like you want to talk about mistakes, well, poo poo on you. It's like that's that's completely turned around and opposite now for for whatever reason, and I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting. As as much as I I kind of give Stanley crap about being funky Flashman and all that other stuff, I mean that's probably a testament to his showmanship. I mean I'm sure the no prize was something that he sort of put forth is like, guess what? We're giving you a prize. You know, it's like, what is it? Nothing, you know, but like, <laughs> thank you, you know? And yeah, you could, you could say like, you know, okay, fine. Like, like, you know, maybe that's as big a slap in the face as, as what JMS is doing. These little, you know, break the fourth wall gags or whatever. Like, you know, Oh, here, you, you want an explanation? Here's your explanation. Like it's, it's a cast, but guess what? It looks like skin, and it, that's why you didn't notice it. You know, there you go. There's your explanation, you know. But but I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like 
that kind of stuff that you're talking about in the past always felt more playful. Like it, you know, yeah. whether the first one was intended as a as a rub in the nose at somebody or not, you know, eventually it became this sort of playful thing. Like, guess what? You're going to get a no prize. And then, and then it became an even bigger joke because, you know, the more generations that got into comics, you know, you know, the first time you ever heard no prize, you, you thought to yourself, Oh, this must be some kind of cool prize. And then like you stop and think about it and go, Oh, I get it. It's a no prize. Like, okay. Like, you know, and, and, and so everybody goes through that at, or, Everybody did go through that, you know, when they, they got into comics and figured out what that exactly meant. But like like you're saying now, for some reason, it seems like this is something that's sort of sort of frowned upon. And and what what I the, the other thing I think is interesting is like I think the actual six issue miniseries was very much influenced by the political climate of the day. You know, it was in a post nine eleven environment. You know, you had the, the Bush administration in office. I mean, it seemed like it was very much a commentary on things like the Patriot Act, the Iraq War, like all these kind of things that were going on. And, and you know, not so much. That's kind of why I think the, the movie is going to play a little differently, because if you start looking at people's positions, I mean, you know, you've got today, you know, people that, you know, supposedly are, you know, pro-affordable health care act, or there are people who are, you know, gun control, you know, advocates. But if you look at it, like, strictly speaking, if you get down into the actual political manifestos of Captain America and Iron Man within these stories, I mean, Captain America would be for guns, do you know what I mean? Like, he'd be like, hey, look, this is fine. Like, we can, we can, you know, basically police ourselves. Like, I, I don't want our guns to be taken away and conscripted and removed from society completely. Like, that's something that we need that's essential for, you know, our well-being, basically. But then you've got stuff like the Affordable Health Care Act, and conceivably that would some be something that is very pro-registration. Do you know what I mean? Like, where it'd be like, oh, we're going to enforce this. It's like, do we have any say in this? No, you don't. We're doing it now. It's the law of the land. That's just the way it is. And if you don't sign up, the Thunderbolts are going to come in and fucking rape you in the ass or whatever. You know what I mean? That's kind of <laughs> what, what, what happened with the whole, you know, pro-registration, anti-registration thing. And, you know, it seemed like, depending on who was writing the stories at the time, I mean, they certainly took things to great extremes, you know, like, and, and, and I guess what was weird about, like, the amazing Spider-Man tie-ins, and I don't know if Mike wants to talk about this at all or not, but, I mean, th they have, like, these Senate hearings, and, you know, the way it starts is, like, Tony's there to actually speak out against registration, because he's trying to, like, sort of fight it off, but, I mean, it's weird, because, like, JMS has Tony Stark compare himself to Abraham Lincoln, and, like, I don't know, like, rereading that today, like, you know, like, now, like, I, I don't know, it just, it felt kind of touchy to me, like, where I was just kind of like, are you sure that's the comparison you guys want to, I mean, I get that the title's called Civil War, but then I'm like, is that a little on the nose, and, like, you know, like, I, I, I don't know, it's like, it, it's funny, because, to me, like, if you look at that, right, uh, ultimately, they villainize Iron Man, which is definitely not how, 
you would think somebody who had those political convictions would want to treat Lincoln, if that makes any sense. You know, like, I mean, most movies about Lincoln and, and books and all this kind of stuff, you know, usually try to herald him, you know, as a great president. But if you look at how they ultimately treat Iron Man, he's actually sort of bastardized by the end of this whole thing, you know? And it's kind of like, I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with one interpretation or the other, but I, I just think it's funny how that's how, you know, the JMS stuff started, that he was comparing him to Abraham Lincoln, and then by the end of it, they're calling him a fascist. So it's like, I'm, I'm kind of like, well, does that mean, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not judging if somebody thinks this one way or the other, but I'm like, do you think Lincoln's a fascist? Because, you know, in some regards, you know, some people might think that, you know, so it's like, I, I don't know, like, it's just, it, 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 it to me, it's like, I, I just found a lot of the arguments that JMS brought forth, like the little kind of talky talks that he had Spider-Man give to the, the Senate hearing and all this other kind of stuff. I, I just thought it was kind of hypocritical because, you know, it's like Spider-Man sits there and argues against registration, but then I'm sitting there going, well, if this was about gun control, people would be arguing for it, you know, like, so I'm like, I don't know, it just seemed weird to me. I could go on a whole rant about, like, that Spider-Man arc, like, or, or I guess, like, it's, like, two arcs. This, like, yeah, the, the the thing where him and Tony go to Washington and, like, the Titanium Man attacks. And then there's the actual, like, arc that was, like, running alongside Civil War. And I don't know, like, I, I, like you speak a lot better about the politics of it, Derek. I just hated, like, the characterization and the plotting of that arc. Like I, I don't know. Like, well, let's let's talk about that then instead, because I don't I don't feel comfortable talking about the politics. To be honest, I mean, <laughs> I appreciate that you think I articulate myself well about them, but it's like I I feel like that's I I think that's like purposeful. I think Mark Millar writes stuff like that because he wants people to start talking about things and maybe put their foot in their mouth or whatever. Like I I feel like that's sort of playing up to to what he kind of wants, whereas what we kind of want is to, like, have a fun superhero story. And it's like, you're not really going to get that in Civil War, you know? Like, and, and I guess in that sense, you know, you've got a character like Spider-Man, who, for all intents and purposes, I mean, I guess in the comic book at this point, I mean, you know, conceivably, things were looking up for him. I mean, he was working for Tony Stark, he had just given him this iron spider armor. He was probably making the most money he'd ever made in his entire life. He was actually doing a job that... You know how people say, like, do a job that you love and then it'll never be work? I mean, essentially, that's what Peter Parker was doing at this point, right? It's like he wasn't being a teacher. He wasn't hawking photos to the Daily Bugle. He wasn't just being a superhero because he felt a need of, you know, atonement or guilt or whatever, you know, for, for what happened to Uncle Ben, but not get paid for it. It's like, this seemed to be the best of both worlds. Your boss knows your dual identity, pays you to do both, and his scientific acumen and application could be honed and trained and used. Like, he was basically like... Tony Stark was like, here, you can be my apprentice. You are my number two guy at Stark Industries, you know? And, and it's like, for most people, you'd be like, oh, well, this 
has to be like the greatest thing ever that happened to Spider-Man. But, you know, I guess with all drama and conflict that's needed in drama, you know, you, you have to uh, sort of invent or throw these, these conflicting emotions in. And, and, like, it's strange because the minute he hears about the Registration Act, it seems like, at least in JMS's run, his first instinct is to get the hell out of the country, almost. Like, that's his very, like, at a base level. The minute he hears it, he starts thinking, how can I cash out my bank account? How the fuck can I get out of here? Like, this is bad news. Like, I, me and MJ and May, we're going to pack up, we're going to leave, whatever. And then, I guess, they do this weird schmaltzy thing where, like, MJ and May convince him to, like, no, this is going to be a good thing, and we're proud of you for doing this, and if you unmask in front of live TV, like, everybody else is going to be proud of you and all this other stuff. And he kind of goes along with it, and then he does it, and it's like... I don't know, it just seemed like the reality of it, whether it was the reality of the JMS series or the Millar series, or especially, like, fucking hate Paul Jenkins and the Frontline shit. Like, that is just, like, some of the most darkest, like, nastiest, like, you know, Justin was talking about, like, the sort of nasty real-world elements that sort of, like, seep their way into stuff, and it's like, that whole series is just full of that stuff. I mean, it's like Speedball goes to fucking, you know, Oz and gets prison rape. I mean, he doesn't really. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like, that. that's what it's like. I mean, Speedball's life. I mean, Speedball was like a fun Steve Ditko character that had a bouncing fucking cat. And then it, it turns into, he blew up a bunch of, well, he didn't really do it. That's part of my problem with the series. But basically the entire country turns on him, blames him for what Nitro did. And then he gets sent to prison and treated like crap and, like, becomes this, like, self-loathing character who likes to inflict pain on himself so he can actually use his superpowers. I mean, that's his whole arc in Frontline. And, like, that's... Like, Speedball, to me, is like sort of that whole Ted Cord thing. I mean, that entire arc is... I mean, at least with Ted Cord, it was like, okay, you know what? It was like a Band-Aid that was horrible and somebody ripped it off and you were like, Ow! I feel disgusted now, but then it was over. But with, like, Speedball, it was like somebody just went, rip, 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 and you're like, I have hair, this really yeah. hurts when you pull off the Band-Aid. And it was like they were just, like, slowly peeling the Band-Aid for, like, fucking a year's worth of comics. And by the end of it, you're like, oh my god, like, my my... Guess what? I still have a gaping gash on my hand, so you're gonna have to put the band-aid back on. It's like al it. almost it seemed like almost immediately when that when Ellis's Thunderbolts run started up, he started like putting lotion on that wound, like where he was like, Okay, hang on, like we gotta fix this and like yeah, it yeah. took a while and it took a long time for it to feel like better again, basically. But But yeah, yeah. I mean that yeah, that was something uh, of of this event that just kinda really made me sick to my stomach, pretty much. I don't, like, as far as, like, Spider-Man goes, like, I, like, for a long time before this event, I'd, like, Spider-Man and Iron Man are obviously two of my favorite superheroes, and I've always thought that, like, man, like, they should team up more. Like, they, that, they, they're, they like, you know, they'd be a good match. Like, like I've always thought that, you know, Tony's, like, you know, Peter Parker, but, like, you know, with ten years more experience, basically, and, you, you know, they should run in the same circles. And I'd always thought it'd be cool if they could, like, pal around. And 
I mean, it starts off that way, but then it rapidly becomes completely mishandled. And part, a lot of that is because JMS was like, like, you know, they, they, Marvel obviously wanted it to be that, like, you could side with Cap or Tony, but JMS was clearly like, you know, Cap is the right side, like, basically. And like, everything he writes in that arc is oriented to, like, you know, justify that, like, why Peter, like, makes the decision he does and basically. Well, you know, changes it, sides. It, it's weird because the the way I feel about JMS's arc on Spider-Man during Civil War is that it really oversells the whole, like, everything you know is a game changer, and everything will be different from this point on forever! And you're like, well, but, like, I guess in hindsight, like, it's easy to go, well, we know all the genies went back in the bottle. I mean, we know, like, people forgot about Spider-Man's identity and, and all this other stuff. And, and as far as, like, the Registration Act, like, I mean, it's like once this whole event was over with and, and they let it go on for a couple months, it's like by the end of it, it's like, oh, guess what? You know, they, they, they played out the whole Tony Stark, Director of S.H.I.E.L.D., whatever thing. And then once that got played out, then it was the heroic age, and like now Steve Rogers is the director of Shield, and the Registration Act basically was overturned. So it's kind of like one of those like, I don't know, like like in in some sense it, it's super meta because just like politics, you know, a lot of people kind of overreact and think this is gonna you know ruin everything forever, and then you know the next four years it's something completely different because somebody else is in charge basically. But it's like that, that moment where like Peter Parker is told like, you know, either you're with me or you're against me, Peter, basically like, that's kind of how like Tony sells it where it's like, you know, I thought you'd just sign up and everything, you know, like, and, and it's just kind of like, I, I don't know. It's like one of those things where he's like, he's like, kind of shocked, you know, like, I mean, it's almost like, I mean, I, I, I kind of am also disgusted by the way there's all these comparisons to, like, you know, Nazi Germany and the Holocaust, like, you notice how that gets, like, casually dropped, like, I mean, can you imagine, like, I, I suppose, you know, the, the culture is more understanding or whatever, and maybe a lot of the creators, you know, probably have connections to that, so they feel a, uh, a license to do mention the Holocaust, but like, I just kind of feel weird. Like, you know, when that's mentioned, because it's like, well, then is Peter in this case, basically being told, you know, well, you know, Peter, you're, you're a handicapped gypsy Jew who will be uncovered as a homosexual. And basically, unless you sign up with me. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, that that's kind of what some of those scenes felt like, where, you know, it's like, Peter has that moment where he's, like, got his hand over his mouth, and it's like, oh my god, like, you know, and that's like, it's the, and it's it's almost like, you know, like, part of you is kind of like, dude, all he's saying is you have to go to the fucking DMV and get a fucking driver's license. Like, but yeah. somehow it turns into, no, like, not only will they make you sign up for a driver's license, but they're going to steal your car. And then they're going to steal your car and make you go to war with Canada against a bunch of other cars. And that's wrong, Tony, and that's fascist. And it just seems to, like, escalate really quickly without any sort of... 
I, I don't know. Like, like it, it just seems to like want to get the ball rolling, and and I never really understood, you know, why. Like, especially like the the idea that I guess Spider Man is supposed to be, I guess, in this storyline, the everyman, you know, and you as the everyman, you'd think like, uh, uh, you know, most people who would categorize themselves as everyman you know, might go, hey, this is nice. I've got my hot supermodel wife. My aunt's not finally dying of a final fatal heart attack every five minutes. We're living in a, a high-rise apartment. I'm working for a guy who's pretty cool. I'm finally making money for the first time in my life. And then all of a sudden, this bomb gets dropped on you where it's like, well, either you have to go public and you keep all this cool stuff, or you don't go public you get hunted and hounded, and more than likely you end up getting revealed to the public anyway, and then you don't get to keep all this cool stuff. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it, it, to me, it almost seems like a foregone conclusion. Like, if it was the real world, if all these real-world elements are being so heavily fostered upon this sort of fictional reality that is the Marvel Universe, you'd think, well, you know, duh, what else can he do? Like, yeah, he has to go with the program. I mean, you know, like most people, there's no real choice in reality. If you're an everyman and some big business, you know, big government thing comes down on your head, I mean, it's like the people that try to fight that stuff, you know, it's like Captain America in this comic book. They get labeled traitors, and then the FBI comes in and, like, shoots them in the face. You know, and that's the end of it. So, like, and I, I don't know, like, like it's just like one of those things where it's like, it's nice to have that sort of fantasy about a rebellion and that, you know, somebody can stand up and, and, and make a decision, you know, that Spider-Man can realize he's been wrong. But there's a lot you sacrifice when you realize you're on the wrong side and you don't go with the program. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sort of surprised that, you know, I mean, obviously it, it led to the whole you know, Aunt May getting uh, shot and all this other stuff, you know, that, that led into all these other crazy storylines. Yeah, but, like, yeah. I was, I was going to say, like, Peter Parker's, like, Spider-Man is supposed to be all about responsibility. So how responsible is it to just spring, like, suddenly tell your loved ones after you've made this, like, completely, like, damaging decision, like, you know, with their, with their, like, you know, support and all, but you made this completely damaging decision and then you go back on it and throw them out into the wild and say like, okay, you guys, you got to leave like right now we got to go out. Like, and like, it would be one thing if Peter like just said, listen, you guys stay here. I, I gotta, I gotta resist this. Like I, I'm leaving that you guys, you know, stay here. Was it really so bad that like he couldn't trust Aunt May and Mary Jane to just like stay out of it? Like he had to take them with you, like with him. Like how responsible is that? Like that, that's what's weird is is if you go with the idea that that Tony Stark is a quote unquote fascist, like that he's really the scum of the earth, right? You you would think that somebody would use that against Peter Parker, right? Like, even though, like, you you may say, look, I think Tony's a hero, and he would never do that, right? Like, there'd be people in that camp. There'd also be people in the other camp that'd be like, well, wouldn't he use that against Peter Parker? You, you know what I found interesting is, and I don't know if you guys read this or not, but it makes me think of it, is in the, the Secret Wars event, the, the 2015 one, you know, one of the, you know, alternate pocket realities or whatever it was that was on Doom's battle world and stuff was a Civil War one. And in that reality, you've got 
America divided into two separate countries almost where they're the iron and the blue basically you know representing cap and iron man and what's interesting about that is mary jane and their daughter i guess whatever they call her not mayday but something along those lines you know she's named after aunt may they live in the iron man half of the country and spider-man Peter Parker is almost like Captain America's Falcon. He's got, like, a little winged harness and everything, and he's Cap's right-hand dude, and he's fighting the good fight and lives in the blue, you know, the land of the free, home of the brave, all that kind of stuff. And, like, I guess that just made me think of that, because there's an element where, you know, another writer, Charles Soule, basically said, well, yeah, like, a divide like that, you know, like the real Civil War, where you had brothers fighting against brothers, you know, like divides like that could have occurred. You know what I mean? Like, not just like, you know, oh, Cap and Iron Man were brothers in the Avengers, and now they're fighting each other. Like, that's kind of a metaphor more than reality, but a reality would be, you know, the Parker family. A consequence of making that decision would be, you know, that Mary Jane maybe sticks it out, you know, and stays... You know, in Stark Tower or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that that she, you know, stays in a, in a stable society for for the sake of her daughter. It's not like they can they can like Iron Man's gonna like hold. Well, you would think that Iron Man's not gonna like hold them hostage or something. You know, like and you think that his offer. You know, like even if Peter had abandoned them, like he wouldn't wouldn't say, "Well, you guys, like I'm not going to protect you guys anymore." Like, forget it. You guys are out on the street or whatever. Like, you would think that would you know not enter into the equation, but you know it seems like JMS works like you know overtime to make sure you know that like Tony Stark is a you know fascist like you know like scumbag basically. What did well? I mean, I guess I'm just curious in terms of of Justin, like, because he brought up the whole Thor thing, and and I know you kind of thought that was kind of out of nowhere, like, like what what do you think of the whole characterization of like the pro registration side and the anti registration side? I mean, do, do do you sort of have any thoughts? Do you want to say anything in particular about either Spider Man's arc or maybe Tony Stark, since we're sort of delving into that now? You know. I'm kind of like you, like I, you know, I'm a big Captain America fan. So, anytime they do a story that kind of even intimates that Cap is like shady or you know does something sneaky, it kind of makes me nervous. So, like that 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 was one of the things in the back of my head when my friends were trying to get me to read this. I was like, you know, you know, just with the the at the time the current climate of comics, like in my head, I was like, I don't think I want to read like. You know, all these characters, especially Cap, like doing anything sneaky or nasty. But I didn't read the Spider-Man stuff until a couple years later, I think. And, yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of Straczynski, mostly for Babylon 5. Like, I think his comics work, aside from Thor, is pretty disappointing. But, yeah, reading that is a total, like, I don't know. It, It just makes me shake my head that, like... He could write something like that and write Iron Man as such a, you know, like, you know, fascist. Like, that that word keeps getting thrown out, like, in the comics. And I just, I'm like, it's it's mind-boggling how that, you know, you could take 
a character like Iron Man and portray, portray him like that. Um, I, we were I, just to interrupt briefly. Like we, I think this came up when the series was actually like you know on the stands and whatever. But like people pointed out that like in JMS's issues, like Iron Man is to Peter, like you know these if you don't sign up, like you you're gonna be held like permanently without like you know bail, without constitutional rights, and blah 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 blah. But then in the actual series, it's like Tony Stark is like, stay cool, babies. Like this is all temporary. Like we'll work this out. <laughs> Like, you know, it's all chill. Like, Well, yeah, that's the other thing I feel like is like an inconsistency because, you know, I, I think if I were to try and defend the series, like, which I can't because I don't like it, but like, <laughs> it seems like the, what I get from it is Bendis and, and those guys tried to come up with this concept that Tony Stark is a futurist, basically. He sees needs and demands that are needed before people even know they need them. And, like, all I gotta say to that is that's just a fancy-schmancy bullshit way of saying he has Batman prep time. Like, and as much as I rag on it, like, I'm kind of a fan in real life of having Batman prep time. I like prepping for podcasts. I like prepping for shit I do at work. I like knowing shit before other people know it, right? And that's basically what they're saying about Tony Stark. Like, Tony Stark, you know, even though it's a massive retcon with this whole Illuminati bullshit, the idea was supposed to be Tony Stark knew back during the Kree-Scroll War that something like this would happen. Now, my problem with the entire fucking concept is, wait, you mean to tell me nobody's fucking died until fucking Civil War during any of these fights? Like, I call fucking bullshit horseshit uh, shenanigans on that. Derek, for sure, you know. Derek, in your Derek lair, do you have a list of that tells you, like, how to take down the other fan holes? Should we, like, go crazy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I swear, I like I, I should have like the little icons, but instead of the icons being like the fan holes going off into their own feature film adventures, it's actually like a file on how to incapacitate you guys if you ever go rogue. No, no, I don't. But but what what but like that's kind of like how I see it, and and like it it seemed to me to be like that Tony Stark was saying, look, like. The alternative, I forget who wrote it. There, no, no, I do remember who wrote it. And it was actually very, very well written. It was Christos Gage, our man. Because in a sea of all this shit, right? Like oh, the, fucking, the one good one shot? The one this? good yeah. one shot. It's like there, there's there's Mark Millar's horse fucking manure. There's, there's JMS's bullshit. There's Paul Jenkins horse crap, there's all this stuff, and then Reginald Hudland and Mark Guggenheim and all this other fucking shit that I can't stand, but the one good thing from it was Christos Gage's one-shot, and it's because he, it's weird, he played ball, but he, like, used pre-existing continuity to sort of justify what was going on at the time, you know, in that in that event, it was the Iron Man Captain America special, and it was like a tie-in to Casualties of War, which was like this offshoot of Civil War or whatever. But, I mean, basically, like, the whole issue was just this continuity talk-through, like, to sort of justify 
what was what was going on. And and I guess my point was the idea was Iron Man said like I am doing registration as a stopgap. And he says, you know what they really want to do at Congress? They really want to have a fucking army full of sentinels and and in, invoke the days of future past. And basically, then there's the little asterisk that goes, you know, see X-Men 141. Do you know what I mean? He's like, Project you, Wide Awake. Wide Awake, right? And he's like, do you want that to go down? Because I don't. He's like, that. that's why I decided to be the front man for this shit, so that I have oversight on it, and I can stop shitty crap like that from happening to our people. Do you know what I mean? So it's not so much that, like, he's... I mean, that seemed to be the most reasonable portrayal of his reaction and response to what was going on, and you could actually sort of see things from his point of view without, say, Hudland or... JMS, or I'm trying to remember who else used it, but most of those guys were the ones who basically called him a fascist. You know, maybe Jenkins, because they had that Sally frontline chick or whatever probably said it too. Like, I can't remember who called him a fascist, but, I mean, it definitely is bandied around in a lot of the the tie-in books and crossovers and stuff like that. I do love that one shot. Like, I, I, I do call it, like, the one, like, good story from that era, basically. Because, obviously, yeah, like, Christos Gage, like, you know, he knows his continuity. He uses it to, like, reinforce the, like, weak points of, like, the overall plot. And, you know, it, it makes sense. You know, he, he, you know, he brings up that Tony Stark used to be an alcoholic, that he needs to, you know... He needs to have a sense of control now, basically, and he needs. He also like use, Tony uses that as like a you know talking point to like reinforce his stance, where he's like you know what if I were drunk and no one like held me to account or you know whatever and like it. Yeah, well, he also says like I, he says if it wasn't for who was it like uh, uh, Machine Man or something, I, I would have killed some dude when I was drunk, you know, like and so he's basically saying. You know, I could have been the poster boy for that. Like, what's weird is there are so many events leading up to Civil War, you wonder why, like, the the Stanford thing was the main one. Because they, 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 it's like, I think Bill Foster has this line of dialogue in the first issue about, you know, oh, this is like the icing on the cake, basically. But now it's, it's tipped, tipped everything over the edge. Because he starts referencing, like, the stuff that the Winter Soldier did, and I think they they reference the the like the the Hulk rampaging through Las Vegas during JMS's Fantastic Four, and then specifically they talk about Millar's stupid fucking run on Wolverine, where Wolverine was running around killing everybody and their brother, you know, like in the Enemy of the State thing. So it's like those are all like poster child examples of like somebody that quote unquote should be held accountable because they either got brainwashed or you know, had a temper tantrum or, you know, actually committed a terrorist act or whatever on American soil in this, you know, fantasy fictional realm and stuff like that. And, like, speaking of diverging continuities and, and or I guess not diverging continuities, but just, you know, writers not keeping track of anything. Like, another thing that I remember being infamous on CBR was the reasons why Reed Richards was pro-registration. You know, if you read the JMS book, it's some sob story about his poor uncle and this and that and the other thing. And, you know, and, and then and then when you get down to it, I think 
I think it was Dwayne McDuffie who tried to clean up all this kind of nonsense that Millar and and JMS had written and basically broke it down into like, oh, I wrote an equation and the equation said like bad shit would go down. So I'm trying to make sure bad shit doesn't happen. And then the mad thinker comes and like looks over the equation. It's like, oh, this is a pretty accurate equation. And then, you know, invisible woman like pops up and is like, why didn't you tell me it was about this fucking equation? I hate you. I'm leaving the fucking building. You, um, know, so. you know, like of all the like weird and bad things that were happening during this event, there was one bad thing I expected to happen that didn't, and when it didn't happen, I was like a little disappointed. But like, I expected um, the invisible woman to leave Mister Fantastic finally and get with Namor. Uh. And when that didn't happen, <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, I, I, I kind of wanted that just because I'm a big Namor fanboy. <laughs> well, there was that. I, I I forget where I read it because I've, I've read all these fucking issues, but there there was that one part where he he sends. Sue Storm to talk to Namor to get him to join his side. And, like, at first Namor's all pissed off about it, because he's like, you know, he's like, you know, he's supposed to, you know, Steve's your friend, or whatever. It's like, my friend wouldn't send me no hot piece of ass that he knows I've wanted for years and years and years as a temptation. This is bullshit. Away with you, woman. You know, like that kind of thing. You know, like, like what's funny is like, I guess I I feel like talking about this because I, I thought the premise of Wolverine's civil war arc was something I really liked because the premise of that was, he's like, I'm going to go hunt down the asshole who really caused all this shit, which was nitro. But it does turn into this convoluted mess where it becomes this weird product of the political time it was set in. Because Wait, isn't that the thing where it turns out like damage control was yes. behind it? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's supposed to be like a, a Halliburton parallel, you know, like the whole kind of like they they were causing these events so that they could, you know make more money off the superhero damage and all that kind of stuff. And, like, thankfully, like, it's a made-up character who bought out damage control. Like, it's not anybody from the actual miniseries, like, that turned out to be evils or whatever. But still, like, it, you know, it, it's interesting because you've got Atlanteans doing this whole secret invasion thing before they did it with the scrolls where you, you know, in the Paul Jenkins thing, you have all these quote unquote sleeper cells, which is of course preying on a post nine 11 fear and environment of, you know, actual sleeper cells of terrorism, you know? And, and so you've got these people that look like you or I, but it turns out they, they hear a trigger word and they become Atlantean, you know, secret agents and stuff like that. And then, of course, all those people are tasked with is to hunt down Nitro, because when you think about it, they killed the cousin of the fucking king. You know, so it's almost like this international incident in between this post-9-11 kind of horrible, you know, tragedy, you know, like, and, and so there's that aspect to it as well, where it's like Wolverine's all there and he's all ready to kill Nitro. And then Nitro's like, no, no, I got some more information for you. Like, don't you want to know who, who, what, what I liked about it was it actually addresses the continuity point of Nitro's never exploded that largely before. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if anybody's ever read any comics with Nitro in it, you and you read that first issue, you're, like, sitting there going, since when could Nitro do that? Like, never. But, like, at least here, they're like, oh, he took mutant growth hormone, and it totally, like, amped up his powers. And who did he get that from? Walter DeClune, the CEO of Damage Control, who's a nasty son of a bitch who just wants profit. And, he, you know, he, he basically, you know, it, it, I guess it's the idea of the guys who, you know, uh, take, you know, wartime contracts. You know, they, they want all this bad shit to happen so that they you know, increase their business, basically, and it's supposed to be a tie to that aspect of it. That You know, that's another political aspect that seeps into your, you know, I mean, basically what Wolverine should have been was just a, uh, a, a revenge tragedy, you know what I mean? Like, just a guy out to get revenge on somebody who wronged all his buddies, you know? And, like, there were some cool moments in it. I mean, I think, like, Namor comes off really cool, you know, in, in that storyline and everything, because it's like... For me, like, I, I'm totally 100% behind the premise of, oh, you know what? Wolverine's going to kill Nitro. But then, like, there are all these, again, comparisons to the Holocaust. And, like, there, there's this really kind of off-putting line where Wolverine basically compares Sentinels on his front lawn to Luke Cage as, you know, would you like it if there were burning crosses on your front lawn? And Luke Cage is like, what the fuck, man? You know, like, what, what, why are you bringing this shit up? You know, it, it's just like, I don't know. It's just like, there there are a lot of sort of off-putting things in it, whereas, you know, you know, and, and of course, you know, there's the whole aspect of Nitro actually blows up Wolverine to a skeleton, and he comes back from that, where I'm like, dude should be dead, but, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's all this overpowering of Wolverine and stuff like that, but I'm trying to find the line that I, I liked because I know I wrote it down, because Nam when Namor shows up, he cracked me up, because he says, uh, oh, oh, <laughs> he says, he says to Wolverine, your stupidity is outstripped only by your arrogance, and I was just like, <laughs> yay, you know, like, because it's like, it's it's pretty awesome. I, so, I, I never read that, because, you know, I've never been a huge Wolverine fan, but I know there was a miniseries that spun out of those events, dealing with all that, like, sleeper, Atlantean, thing and like i didn't that that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth but like that's that's a whole nother story yeah yeah can we talk about the justin's avatars reminding me can we talk about chlore <laughs> we we can what i wanted to talk about was what the fans dubbed as chlore and like i i love how like it, it seemed like when that name was catching on on the internet like oh like all the marvel like staffers were getting angry about it like they were like come on man like be cool and everyone was like no it's a clone of thor so we're calling it chlor and then like yeah i don't know that that was kind of funny but that like aside from you know the what it means for the character of thor and like anyone who had a hand in creating him that was the point where I was like, Peter Parker should have seen that and heard that and been like, you're making evil clones? Okay, fuck this shit. Like, I'm I'm switching sides. Like, but instead yeah. he's just kind of like, I don't know. So I don't know. But Justin, what do you what do you think of Chlor? I, I, that's one of those things that's like, you know, like I was talking about earlier, I don't want to read characters I've loved do shady things. And, you know, I went in being worried about Cap, but I ended up being, like, horrified at, like, what they were making Tony Stark do. And that's one of the big things. And, like, 
like the main Civil War meaning is full of like so many like odd references, like you know the whole like Tony Stark and Emma hook up whenever they meet, and Stark keeping a strand of Thor's hair from the first time the Avengers ever met. Like that's a big like what you know what the crap, but like yeah. Tony like making this weird cybernetic clone of Thor and it like goes bonkers. Like I don't I don't think Tony would ever like go that far, but like. You know, we was talking about Straczynski stuff. Like, when he was writing Thor, like, he dealt with that. And I really like that issue because Thor comes back and he meets Tony. And Tony has – he still has that whole, like, leftover attitude from when Straczynski was writing yeah. Man, But, like, Thor was pissed. And I really like the way he did it because they, like, got into this big fight. And Thor leaves him stranded out in the middle of nowhere with no armor. Like, I, yeah, I was like, like – I, I like that. Yeah, like I, I, I was, I thought that was pretty cathartic because I thought that was a like. Well, I, I feel like there's not, they, like, like the the superhuman registration act. It's not inherently a bad thing. So I feel like Mark Millar had to add in something that was like, you know, these guys are doing shit, like even shadier shit. You know, they they made an evil cyborg clone of Thor, and like like I said, like that that was the point where. Peter Parker should have seen that and been like, "Whoa, I'm out, dudes! Like, you're yeah. making evil clones. Like, okay, forget that. Forget this shit. Like, I'm out. Like, but. but Hercules, like in his battle with Chlor, like I think to be honest, like that's the only like part of Civil War I liked because I like, you know, I like Hercules and I like that he had his little moment. You know, I, I like Namor and I like that he had a little moment too. But like. You know, the Hercules Chlor yeah. fight, like, I, I like that. That's why it's my nope. avatar, because it's, like, the one thing I can latch on and be like, I, I like this moment, even though I don't like what it means for, like, the characterization of Tony Stark. Yeah, you know, I was, see, when when the hype machine was going in full swing, like, they were, everyone was like, you know, issue four of Civil War, like, someone's gonna die, and I was, like, kind of scared it was gonna be Hercules, because I, like, I felt like, you know, I was like, oh, Thor's coming back, so... I was like, I wonder if Thor is going to, like, kill Hercules, like a god killing a god or something like that. Mm. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like that. But, and, it, like, it seemed like a Mark Millar thing to do. But, you know, then then he just killed Goliath. And I was like, oh, okay, well, forget it then. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay, never mind, yeah. Like, crisis averted, like, sorry. See, it's it's funny to me to hear you guys talk about Black Goliath is sort of, you know, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. Like, the, the the guy had his own series, and then was when that series got canceled, he was folded into the champions, basically. And that was about, you know, I mean, that that's kind of his story, right? Like, I mean, that's, you know, w- w- with maybe a few guest appearances and this and that, you know, in, like, West Coast Avengers or something like that. I mean, I can't think of him having, you know, a lot of influence on you know Marvel Comics up to that point, but to me, I, I like I uh, was describing to you. I mean, you know, even when when I wrote about Civil War four, to me, I wrote it's one of the more infamous sequences because I think if say that was Atlas, like I I don't think anybody I think people would have cared about it a lot less. But you know, given his race and his background and everything, I think that for some reason it it, it again was Mark Millar like pushing the buttons of people yeah. and 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 making them kind of have to deal with 
things that they would normally not have to deal with, feelings and thoughts and ramifications that they wouldn't need to address in normal escapist fantasy, which, you know, again, I think is a reason why I don't really care for this. See, too much. That, that, that speaks to what kind of fan I am, because, like, I look at it from a complete, like, divorced from any kind of, like, politics or button pushing and, like, I'm like, well, I never cared for that character, so like, you know, like I don't care. But well, but you, if you, it if it was Atlas, I would have been more pissed off. See, I'm well, because you like yeah. the Thunderbolts, right? Yeah. And and to me, I think I think like in terms of being like a comic fanboy, like what I my initial reaction is, man, why did the New Warriors have to be the dumb teenage group that messed shit up? I'm like, why couldn't it have been the fucking Young Avengers or the Runaways? I give two shits about those guys. <laughs> You know what I mean? But I'm sure somebody out there is like, you're crazy. The Runaways is like the greatest thing. I I like the Young Avengers. (laughs) Yeah. So like, yeah, exactly. See, so I'm sure somebody would disagree with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you know, the the Young Avengers and the Runaways had their own little crossover book and everything. And to be perfectly honest, like in that, I I was rooting for Norvar to kill them all (laughs) because I was like, come on, bro, you can do it, you know, but never happened. So anyway. But you, that what do you call the the moment in the final issue when Hercules yeah, blows up like Clor's head? Like I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool, and it, that deserved a full page like spread, basically. Like I, I for me, like Clor doesn't have as much relevance to Thor, even though I understand why it's a gross violation of his person like and and I I can understand why you know the JMS issue, what is it like Thor three where you know, Thor gets his comeuppance on, you know, quote-unquote fascist Tony is, like, you know, one of these kind of, like, fun things to read for people, like, where you, you feel like, oh, things are starting to be right in the world again or whatever. But, like, I I just feel like in the context of the story, you know how, like, you, you said that, Mike, you said that they had to sort of escalate things and make Iron Man's side seem less and less reasonable, whether it's introducing, like, you know, oh, we're, they're they're working with convicted killers like Bullseye and Venom and Green Goblin and stuff. And, and along those lines, it's like, okay, you've made a clone of Thor that has gone crazy and killed one of the opposing side, right? And it's like, to me, I'm just kind of like, doesn't that just make, like, you know... Hank and Reed and Tony just look like fucking morons. I mean, it's like they're—it's like they've got all yeah. these facts and figures and all this thing. It's like, look, this is a good idea. These are the reasons why it's good. We've got plans. We've got you know, all these different kinds of plans. You know, we we can see the future because we're fucking futurists. I'm like, where the fuck were you? You didn't see your fucking core Ragnarok asshole like going ape shit and killing somebody. Like, where well, the fuck was the crystal ball then? You know, like I don't know. It just seems like it's kind of I don't know. Well, for better or worse, like that it, that wasn't even Hank Pym during the time; it was that scroll. Yeah, it was a scroll of the ultimately. Yeah, <laughs> that, that there was another thing that pissed me off. Like when I first saw the art of I think it's issue five. It shows Spider Man like under attack by Venom, like Green Goblin and Bullseye, and I'm like, oh, well, I guess that's kind of cool. Like even though like I I didn't like the fact that like you know, Tony was, like, using these guys or whatever, and that there was another point where, like, if if Peter had any kind of inkling that Tony had made a deal with Norman Osborn, he should have been like, okay, you know, that's out, I'm out, like, yeah. that, that's, that should have been another breaking point for him. 
But in that actual issue, who does Spider-Man get his ass kicked by? <laughs> the Jester and the Jack-O-Lantern. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, what the fuck? Like, come on. That's blat- That's like blatant, like, ripping you off, like, on Marvel's part. Like, you know, because that's one of the worst, like, instances of, like, what what's on the cover does not reflect what's in the actual issue. I don't even know, you know what's funny is, I don't even know if you can blame Mark Millar for that, because, you know what I feel like it was? It was like, we're launching this new, and and I I feel funny saying this, but I did follow the Punisher War Journal series that spun out of Civil War, because, I don't know how to explain it, it's kind of like, there's nothing... For me, I'm, I'm just speaking for myself. I'm sure there are people who hate more, uh, hate Garth Ennis's Punisher or whatever, right? But for me, there's nothing wrong with Garth Ennis's Punisher, right? Uh, but that run, you know, because it was Max oriented. I mean, it was it was widely divorced from the six one six Marvel universe per se. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he he doesn't really like superheroes too much, other than maybe Superman. Anytime they showed up, he, he usually made them look like fucking morons. Like I'm quite a fan of the whole Confederacy of Dunces stuff. You know, like where you know Spider Man and Daredevil and the Hulk all look like morons, and Wolverine is on the what train? You know, like I love that <laughs> stuff. But like, so I have no problems with it. I like it. But I guess I'm just trying to preface it with. It reminds me of when Mike Grell did the Green Arrow run, and it was like a great run. Everybody really liked it. It was good stuff, longbow hunters, all that kind of stuff. But I remember there was some sense of excitement when they're like, oh, guess what? Mike Grell's leaving Green Arrow, and now Green Arrow's going to start dealing with superhero stuff again. It's going to be Jim Aparo's going to do the art, and... I'm trying to remember if it was, like, Chuck Dixon or somebody, I think, was writing it or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's pretty sweet. Like, he, he it's like he's actually going to be able to hang out with, like, Superman again if he feels like it. Like, oh, that's cool. And I remember he was fighting, like, Eric Larson bad guys from, like, the Doom Patrol, like, Shrapnel and stuff. And it's like shit he hadn't done in, like, years where it was like everything was very, you know, you know ninjas and crime bosses and you know, drug dealers and, and rapists. And, you know, that was it. That was all he really did, you know, like basically. And now all of a sudden it was back to like super heroic stuff. And I'm not saying like Punisher is a superhero, but there was this notion of the War Journal series was going to bring him back into the 616 universe. Like he was going to be hunted down by G.W. Bridge, who was, you know, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent from... X-Force or whatever, and, you know, they they were going to have characters from the Marvel Universe in it. Like, I think in some of the Civil War tie-ins, it's like he he messes with, like, Stiltman and all these other guys, and it was one of those things where it's like, you know, you could look at it and go, oh, this is bullshit. Like, he makes Rhino, like, pee his pants. And I remember, like, it's kind of your reaction to Jester and Jack-O-Lantern beating up Spider-Man and the fact that the Punisher comes in and saves him by blowing their heads away. Like, that's the kind of stuff that would make, like, my buddies who liked Spider-Man kind of like you like Spider-Man, Mike. Like, they, they would go into a fury. Where it's like, what the fuck? Like, Punisher is making fucking Rhino pee his pants? This is dumb. And, like, at the time, I was following it. You know what I mean? So it's like, and, and I'm not saying I disagree, but it was just like there was this kind of... I don't, I don't know how to describe it. There, there was a sense of excitement about the fact that Punisher was actually going to be interacting with Marvel characters again, at least to me. But speaking of that, like, Punisher 
becoming involved in this story, like, really does kind of like the, the Clore hair sample or whatever. Like, it just, it, it feels like all these twists and curves and turns, like, come out of left field. Like, it's kind of how I feel about, like, shitty murder mysteries. It's like, imagine if Punisher was the culprit in a murder mystery. And you're, like, sitting there going, well, was he in Civil War number one? No. Was he in Civil War number two? No. Was he in three or four? No. Where, where, where was he introduced? In issue five! And you're just kind of like, there, it, I mean, there was virtually, like, no setup for him showing up whatsoever. Like, that's what I felt like, you know, and it's just like he comes out of nowhere. And then it's like all of a sudden, like, I think that was supposed to be one of these forced things that was supposed to show like, oh, look, even Cap's doing like dirty ass shit. You know, it's like, you you know what cracked me up? Like, I normally hate a lot of people that worked on Civil War books. I don't like their writing. So I guess that speaks to why I probably don't like the event. But there was this other one shot where it was written by Frank Thierry who I normally can't stand, but I thought it was pretty cool where, like, Kingpin sort of, like, plays, like, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers from prison. Like, it actually kind of reminded me of how they used him in Daredevil Season 2, but instead he was, like, playing everybody in the Civil War and stuff like that. And, like, that kind of, to me, was similar, like, where it's like, oh, look, Cap made a deal with Wilson Fisk, like, look at how shady things are getting, you know, it's like, he's working with, like, Frank Castle and, and, and Wilson Fisk, like, some of the shadiest shadesters, you know, in all of Marvel, you know, like, look, look at the, look at the gray lines that have to be drawn, or whatever, and I was just kind of like, I, I don't know that I necessarily, you know, bought that, but I, I was just kind of like, you know, I did, I did like, in, uh, I think it's issue six, like, it's such a, like, contrived moment, but it's funny when, like, the plunderer and gold bug show up in the anti-registration thing, and the Punisher just immediately kills both of them. Well, it's funny how they're they're like, hey, you know, some of us aren't on board for registration either, man, like, we're not feeling registration either, and since Tony Stark has his group of villains, you can totally use up... (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's like they're like where did the like they they take the guns off the punisher and he like just takes out two more guns and they're like where does he keep getting these guns like who let him walk around the base with guns (laughs) yeah i i I, and then i guess like a lot of events i guess it's worth mentioning like i feel like jms and like you you reminded me of this when you mentioned that you know frank castle killing gold and the the you know what's funny is the plunderer like at the time i think it was supposed to be like the really for reals plunderer but then i think later on people that actually wanted to write you know like kazar stories were like that's that we can't have that so they they retconned it as like a it was some guy that the plunderer hired to be his like representative or something. So it's like, it wasn't really him that got shot in the face, but and then Goldbug was built back into a pretender and then he became <laughs> Bumblebee again. Right. Yes. That's exactly. what happened. Right. Okay. Exactly. Hey Brian, it's me, Bumblebee. Bumblebee, my small little friend, you look different. Yeah. I just got totally rebuilt. I feel better than ever. I feel like a gold bug. <laughs> and that's who you'll be from now on, Bumblebee. Gold bug. 
about why Maria Hill is a total bitch in this fucking oh, miniseries? Uh, there's a, there's a scene I, I fucking hate in the very first issue where she's like, you know, alright, Cap, like, get in line. No? Okay, let's have, let's all point our guns at him. Like, oh my god, like... Yeah, that, it, that, that original scene always rubbed me the wrong way the minute the series started. And then, like, other stuff, like, you know, you, you talk about, like, okay, it sucks that Bill Foster got killed, right? you know, in the context of the story, but, like, Tony was there to talk to Cap, and what does Cap do? Electrocute him. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, like, I, I don't know, like, you know, like, sometimes you're like, well, what if you guys had just fucking, like, sat down and talked it out? Like, well, you, know, you know, there... There is I that. know there wouldn't be a story or a fight or whatever, yeah. but, well, you know. There, there is that, that Civil War what-if written by, surprise, surprise, Christos Gage, where... It's it's basically what if everyone was completely reasonable in that confrontation and like yeah it's like they talk it out and like it becomes like the the best possible like solution basically for the civil war. The only comic where I think Maria Hill isn't a one-dimensional fucking bitch is when the I think it was is was it the Noffs that were writing Iron Man at the time? Yeah. Yeah, and like like she actually has some dimensionality, you know, like it's not like she's just yeah. one note, kind of like I'm director of Shale, like you're coming with us, like you know, I hate you guys, you know, like, like I don't know, someone like I like I read some analyses of Civil War, and someone was bringing up like, okay, if you want to get Captain America like on your side, who do you like? Shouldn't like the president go talk to him and say like, you know, Cap, you know, we need you to do this, and then Cap can say, no, I'm not going to do this, and walk out like he did, you know, in the '80s or whatever and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But they send Maria Hill to do this, and then then she points fucking guns at him when he says, no, I'm not going to do this. Like that seems like so fucking like contrived. It's well, like, see, that, that's why I think like the idea of okay, like registration doesn't necessarily sound bad. But the minute, like, see, that that's part of the problem that I think when you bring in, like, real-world politics, and, you know, who knows, it may be very real-world that if you disagree with a government decision that is going to be implemented as the law of the land, whether you agree with it or not, I mean, we all have these fanciful notions about democracy and all this other stuff, but that if you're going to be the one blade of grass or the nail that sticks up, you know, like, it, you know, instead of, you know, the nail that gets hammered down or whatever, I think is like, I, I forget if it was like Professor Smooth who, who ta told us that kind of parable in terms of Japanese culture. But I, I think, you know, even though like that was something that he brought up as being a, a Japanese thing, I think, you know, when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, it's like the people that are anti-registration, you know, whether it's JMS writing Captain America speeches, or whether it's, you know, Mark Millar or somebody else, right? You, you've got somebody who is going against the establishment. And the establishment, I mean, has, you know, the, the, the whole driving force of this is that post 9-11 event in Stanford had the will of the people. And because it had the will of the people, all these politicians that want to retain their power base are going to satiate the people. And it doesn't matter 
if the person who was responsible is not punished. They will give them Speedball's head on a platter to satiate them so that they can continue to implement their policies and have their power and all this other stuff. And basically, you know, now we're back into something that I don't like to discuss where it's like, oh, this has nothing to do with, you know, like Captain America or comics or, you know, anything I actually freaking like, you know, like that that kind of stuff. Did you notice that, um, I'm just going to totally dovetail, did you notice in issue five, fucking Millar is a sick fuck and Sue and Johnny, their secret identities were as husband and wife? <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm like I'm like that's totally on purpose. That's did a that more LR thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. And then and then like you know by the end of it like by the time you get to Civil War five six and seven I mean like Iron Man's pretty much the villain of the piece right because when when Daredevil gets caught and I mean we haven't even talked about like the negative zone you know Guantanamo Gulag for lack of a better fucking term you know like all these things that that you know vilify the, the pro-registration uh, side, you know, when Daredevil's caught, he gives Tony Stark a silver dollar and says something about, now you've got your 31 pieces of silver, Judas. You know, and it's just like, well, wait, so what are you, fucking Jesus? Like, you're, you're <laughs> like, I, I was just like, what? But I don't know. Like, but to me, like, that seems like incredibly biased, you know, like by that yeah. point, you know, where it's like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter, you know, it's kind of like how, how like, I remember when we discussed uh, Avengers versus X-Men, and you're like, well, you could agree with what Cyclops is doing, you could agree with what Captain America is doing, but the minute it gets to the middle of the series and, you know, the Phoenix Force becomes involved, and then they all start doing these sort of, you know, overlordy things with their powers, then at that point it's like, it becomes a completely different argument, you know what I mean? Like... It, 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 and and I think with with Civil War, it's like the minute you bring in, like you're saying, quote unquote, you know, the the Ellis era Thunderbolt people, you know, whether it's like Bullseye or you know Green Goblin or you know Venom, you know, like at that point, you know, Spider Man should be like, hey, maybe this isn't such a good thing, do you know what I mean? Like, and and that totally changes the argument, you know, like where it's like, oh, great, you know, like I'm for people being responsible for their powers, and it's like, well, what happens when irresponsible people get registered and get pushed through the system just because they're needed. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a completely different argument from, I believe in registration or I don't believe in registration. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I hated that just because, like I said, the if Tony really wanted to, like, I feel like if Tony really wanted to keep Peter's loyalty, he wouldn't have done any of that shit. Like, it seemed yeah. like he was, like, tr- actively trying to alienate him, basically. Like, you know, he I mean, he must have known that, you know, Norman Osborn and, like, you know, is, is a hot button for Peter, so. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I, you know, the whole thing with, with uh, Punisher, like, I, I don't know that I really like the whole idea of, like, you know, when, when Punisher doesn't fight back and Cap beats the crap out of him and then he just says, oh, you're insane, get out of my sight, you know, like, I was kind of like, I, I, I could see why somebody who's actually a fan of the Punisher wouldn't quite go along with that portrayal, per se, you know, but, I don't know. 
Didn't didn't the like the Punisher issue that tied in like replayed that scene like kind of like twist it so like the Punisher was like you know I take my lumps from Cap because he's gonna look cool and like I I gotta be cool so, sort sort yeah. of it, 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 the the way they portrayed it was that there was this flashback to where there was some goober dressed up as Captain America back when Frank Castle was getting his Marine training. And that he basically, like, took lumps from that version of Captain America and then realized, like, that that wasn't, like, the real Captain America. But in this case, like, he is talking to the real Captain America and that he's sort of, you know... I, I guess. I mean, I, I, I suppose. Like, I mean, he clearly wasn't trying to fight with them. Do you know what I mean? No matter what. Like, I, I don't know if in the, you know, maybe in the Civil War comic book, it's like he's clearly made to look like a goober. But, of course, in his own book, it's kind of like, oh, well, we're going to soften the fact that he looks like a goober in this event and say, like, oh, well, he he he's just taking a couple hits for the team type thing. You know, like, that's... That that seemed to be the the basic, cons, you know, uh, uh, the the basic. Um, uh, I can't even think of the damn word I'm thinking of. Con- concept, conceit, conceit. Yeah, that was the conceit of the scene. There you go. Thank you, okay. thank you, Mike, for for <laughs> teaching me English. <laughs> You're welcome. Can we talk a little bit about, like, the ending and, like, the new status quo for, like, the Marvel yeah. Universe afterward? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I don't I don't exactly get why, like, Luke Cage and Spider-Man and, like, those guys, like, don't take the amnesty that, like, is clearly, like, offered to all of them. Like, it, it seems like it's just, like, sour grapes for them. I'm wondering if, like, because it's an event, like, I wonder how much of that is Bendis wants to do this for the next... Like 12 months. Yeah, well, it's like... But then when you think about it, it's like Peter is more willing to make a deal with Mephisto to save Aunt May's life than he is with Tony, which is ridiculous. Like, utterly ridiculous. But you know what's funny, though, is all those guys... You know what I don't get about that? Like, they're so damn stubborn, right? But those guys in issue 7 are so convinced that Cap's never going to give up the fight. And, like, what bothered me to no end about following this entire series is, I mean, whatever you want to compare these guys to, whether you want to take it literally on the nose and say it's the literal Civil War and it's, you know, states' rights versus federal rights or whatever, or if it's, you know, the literal American Civil War, or or if you want to say, like, look, this is you know, these ideological differences, and no matter what, you know, like, the the whole, you know, JMS uh, cap speech that everybody likes to quote, where it's like, you know, somebody tells you to move, no, you move, you know, like, I know I'm right, and it doesn't matter that, you know, the, the entirety of, you know, uh, the mass public is telling me I'm wrong, I know I'm right, and I'm not gonna stray from my convictions. Okay, that's fine, but then it's like, like, you you know, I mean, you made a joke about it, but it's like, okay, so a couple buildings get blown up and some people get hurt. And then you're just like, well, wait a minute. And now all of a sudden, like, Cap finally acknowledges the public face of what he's doing and how people are not really happy with it. And then he just kind of gives up. Like, that doesn't seem to me like 
he was ever that that he had that strong. I mean, it's either he had the conviction to see it through to the end, or he didn't. I mean, I hate to be, like, super black and white about it, but it's like, to me, it's like, you know, I feel like fucking Yoda. It's like, there is no try. You can't try to be anti-registration. You either are, or you fucking aren't. You know, like, and, and at the end of it, it was like, you know, it's like, it was such an unsatisfactory ending, and I think the reason why it was was because in the Cap book, they were leading to him getting shot and killed, right? But it's like, you don't want Tony Stark to shoot and kill Cap, because that would tarnish him even more than he already was tarnished. Like, you couldn't have him go on to be the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all this other stuff, and, and have people follow him as a character. I mean, you know, I suppose there were enough people that were already like, I'm done with Iron Man after this, or whatever, but, like, I I, I don't know. It just, the the, the ending to me... I don't know. It, it, it didn't make any sense. Like one minute they're like, we, "We've evacuated all the civilians," and I, I suppose all the people that were gang piling Captain America were not strictly speaking civilians. Like I think it was like a firefighter and a cop and like a nurse and I don't know. So I, I guess strictly speaking, they were not civilians per se. But still, I'm just kind of like, so I, I thought most of the you know normal non-powered people were cleared from this scene, and then out of nowhere, it's like. Hey, what's up, dude? Like, stop what you're doing, Cap. I'm gonna, like, grab on your leg. And then Cap's like, I've been wrong! I can't move! You know? (laughs) What? Like, now all of a sudden you ran out of quarters? Like, why? Like, because it's the end of a seven-issue miniseries and they couldn't think of anything better, you know, for you to do? I don't know. Like, that, the the ending always bugged me because, I mean... I just feel like, you know, it's it's the same thing I felt like during Age of Ultron. It's like, it, it, you, it's great and fine to have Captain America make all these speeches, right? But the only good thing that comes out of that is when you see something like Cap in Infinity Gauntlet, where it doesn't matter that the opposing force can wipe him off the face of the Earth, he's still going to fight the fight to the bitter end, and he does, right? And that, there's no shame in that. But, like, these kind of stories, it's like where Cap's sitting there in Age of Ultron, like, huddled in a fucking, you know, hump, like, uh, feeling sorry for himself. Or in this, where it's like, uh, he's got all these super convictions, he gets all these other people riled up, you know, and basically sends them on the warpath, you know, and and all these people are behind him, and they believe in in the conviction that he has that that this registration thing is is bad news. It's not good business, and and that they're all going to get behind him. And then he basically just surrenders. Like I, I just feel like it's such a pussy bitch out like ending, you know, where it's like he just, you know, I don't know. I, it, it's always bugged me. Like, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily agree or disagree with with registration or anti-registration in the context of the story, but I just think if you felt that strongly about it, you might as well have seen it through to the end. And I don't feel like... I mean, it's like it's weird. Like, Paul Jenkins tries to apologize for the fact that he surrenders in Civil War Issue 7 by having him, like, in prison going, well, this isn't over, man. This isn't over. And it's like... Well, yeah, it is, because you fucking surrendered, and you were arrested, so, yeah, it's over. You know, like, as far as, you know, in terms of this story, but, I don't know. What what, what, do, you, what, what do you guys think about, kind of, like, the ending, and, and, you know, where everybody sort of 
went off to, whether it's like Tony as director of S.H.I.E.L.D. or, I don't know, any other thoughts or anything on the sort of aftermath of Civil War? Yeah, I, I think it's a pretty weak ending. Like, I personally, like, I don't know how I would have ended it, but not like that because it's not very satisfying. As for, like, stuff that comes afterward, like, I think there were maybe a couple things that, you know, in, in the wake of Civil War were good, like, you know, Bucky taking over for Cap. Like, I, you know, I'm a big fan of that storyline. But also, like, the... Dwayne McDuffie taking over Fantastic Four, you know, aside from the infamous Spike Panther armbar of Silver Surfer, like, I, I like that run. <laughs> the bane of Derek's existence. <laughs> That's funny. It, yeah, it's, like, there's, it, a, there's, it, a, there's a lot of things that, like, sprung out of Civil War that I really enjoyed. Like, you know, Avengers the Initiative, yeah, like yeah, Ellis's, yeah. Ellis's Thunderbolts run. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, but I don't know. The event itself was like you know birthing pains for that stuff, basically. Yeah, I, I got your back on the Ellis event or uh, Ellis Thunderbolts and the the uh, Initiative series and all that kind of stuff. You, you know, I mean, I, I I would be willing to not not backtrack. I mean, I really like I said, do not like the event in general. But I mean, I will say that of of most of this stuff, like like we mentioned the. Uh, the casualties of war one shot with Iron Man and Captain America. Like, I think that was a really good issue. The, uh, the special I was trying to think of that had the Kingpin spotlight. And even though I'm normally not a advocate or defender of Frank Thierry's writing on Marvel comics, it was called civil war war crimes. And I thought that was a pretty well-written story. Like I liked the way that sort of played out in within the context of this sort of event and everything. And then the other thing I thought I'd mention is, and I, I know you guys are probably fans of this too, uh, or at least, you know, between the two of you, but some of the books that I did like reading during this were the Miss Marvel book at the time and the uh, the Moon Knight book that sort of sprung out. Oh, yeah, that was a good yeah. Like, like yeah. I, I enjoyed reading those, so I, I don't want to go completely on the warpath and say, like, I absolutely hated everything. Like, I think it was what David Finch was doing the art on the Moon Knight, yeah. and I, yeah, I, I thought that was... Stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and I think part of the reason why I probably liked that Moon Knight book is because it was kind of counter-programming. You know, it was basically like, oh, you, you know... Iron Man guests in one issue and Cap guests in the other issue and Moonlight's like, you guys are both a pair of assholes. You know, like, and it's like, at the time, after reading all this this event, you were kind of like forced to agree with them. You know, like, you were kind of like, yeah, he's right. You guys are a pair of assholes. You know, like that kind of thing. And, I mean, as far as Miss Marvel goes, like, I mean, you know, I, I thought that was kind of just a good book in general. So I, I don't think Civil War like tripped it up so much you know er earlier i was mentioning you know there were all kinds of like little weird moments in civil war that don't really make sense or just kind of dropped in and never really mentioned again like at the last issue there's like one or two panels where you see captain marvel and it's never explained until like you know it's like a, a year or two later they had to do this whole you know, Captain Marvel miniseries to explain that right. appearance. Right. And it turns out, it, you know, it was a scroll. But like that, I mean, I thought that was an all right series, you know, even though it wasn't, you know, really for real as Captain Marvel or even anyone who had a connection to the character. But that's just one of those weird things where it's like, okay, because, you know, for whatever reason, you had this one or two 
you know, one or two panels of like Captain Marvel flying around, and people are like, well, you know, what the heck? Like he's dead. Like who was this? And they had, they had to go back and like try and explain it. Yeah, like I I I think yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember the the context in which that that miniseries I think came out and whether there was any I I thought there was like some kind of one shot where they thought it was just a like there was some scene where like they pluck him out of time, I think. And like I I thought at the time they were really trying to sell it as it was, you know, like we didn't know it was a scroll at that time and like they were really trying to sell it as like this is the real Captain Marvel. He's just plucked from before he died, basically. And, like, they they have this conversation where I think, like, him, Hank, Tony, and Reed are like, well, we can't tell you too much, but, like, we need your help, you know, or whatever. And it's just like, okay. I like how uh, the Sentry basically sits this whole event out because they couldn't <laughs> think of a way to, like, utilize him, basically. Well, it's funny because he's got, I mean, if you want to talk about him... He, you know, he's got that spotlight in the new Avengers issue where, like, he ends up fighting with the Inhumans and then he ends up eating dinner with them. And then, like, of course, like, everything with the Sentry, it's like, oh, and by the way, not only did he bang Rogue and all these other hot chicks, but at some point in his crazy retconned history, he, he had a mystery romance with Crystal. So, of course, he's trying to rekindle. Who hasn't? Yeah, I know exactly. Like she's 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 shacked up with everybody, right? And then like at the end of it, Iron Man comes and grabs him, and then and then basically like I think by the end of Frontline, it's like oh yeah, and Sentry like totally signed up with registration like at the end of Frontline maxi series or whatever. So it's like, but yeah, I mean for the most part, like he was completely the Sentry's like like yeah, it turns out I banged Crystal to like Tony Stark and Tony Stark's like you yeah, oh you too like yeah like high five. <laughs> I don't know yeah I I feel like they most of the time they have to come up with a way to keep the Superman analog guys like out of things. <laughs> were you so. were you reading uh, Thunderbolts and uh, or I guess it was what new Thunderbolts and uh, Cable yeah. and Deadpool at the time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, the, like, those had their own tie-ins and things. And... Yeah, like, I, I generally like that stuff. Like, I liked the, how Zemo was kind of, like, stockpiling, like, villains and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Under the what pretense you, of... You know what I had forgotten about? Because I was rereading those in preparation for this. Like, it's funny how, like, they called Dr. Octopus a Thunderbolt just because, like, he was one of the sort of captured bad guys. And I, like, one, I never thought of Doc Ock as a Thunderbolt. And the other thing was, it was weird given the context of having read the superior Spider-Man now, you know, like it was just like, to me, it was funny to go back and read that where, you know, Doc Ock's basically like, why would I like help people? Like, (laughs) yeah, you know, and I'm kind of like, Oh yeah. Like that's, that kind of, you know, Makes yeah, sense. That, I always think that's kind of funny, yeah. Because, yeah. uh, like, uh, it seems like up until, like, yeah, that point, or, it, like, uh, Amazing Spider-Man was, like, you know, rebooted or whatever, like, Ock hadn't been in a lot, like, recently at least. So, like, seeing him pop up in Thunderbolts, I was like, yeah, I, I, I remember reading it, and I was kind of like, yeah, where has Dr. Octopus been? I, I liked the Deadpool thing, because it was, you know, it was like Cable was, like, anti-registration, and Deadpool right. was, like, pro-registration. I think they um they kind of maybe played up Deadpool's like, you know, clownish nature a little too much in that, but 
like you know when he tries to fight like the anti-registration Avengers and like it's it's kind of like this weird like comedy bit almost where Cap and Cable are just kind of like easily fending off his attacks while they're having a discussion with like Hercules and Falcon or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, but I, I do the thing that always makes me laugh is when uh like Hercules is gonna like just like you know lay Deadpool like the fuck out and like Deadpool runs and hides behind Captain America. And he's like Captain America's trying to talk Hercules down, and then like Deadpool like pops up from like the other side of him, and he's like, "Ha ha, lulled ya!" and like shoots Hercules in the face. Yeah, like, but I don't know. That stuff was like cracking me up. Yeah, there were there were so many books that tied into this. I mean, like I, you know, the I mean, obviously, like the Captain America books were good, but I don't think they had a whole lot to do with Civil War. To be perfectly honest, I mean, it was like there 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 was they were playing with that angle of you know. Sharon Carter worked for S.H.I.E.L.D., but then she was in love with Captain America and how she was conflicted and all this kind of stuff, you know, and it wasn't much like, I don't know, it it didn't really seem to heavily, yeah, it seems like the Captain America book maybe thankfully escaped the brunt of of the event, I suppose, I don't know, you know, it wasn't wasn't forced to tie in, yeah, yeah. Does anyone have... Anything else? Because I think I'm I'm just about tapped out. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to the movie, obviously, and I think like the the concept is a very strong concept, but it, I think the comic event itself was like supremely like mishandled and yeah, just there was very few things like in in retrospect, there's very few things I actually like from the event. I guess uh, for for a final thought, I, I might reiterate that. I did find the Secret Wars Civil War miniseries fascinating. So if you like Charles Soule and and you just want to see like an extension or a alternate take on it, you know, like that might be something fun to check out. It's only like five issues and it's it, it, it plays with the ideas of this. It's almost like a what if, I guess, like the Christos Gage one in a way, you know, but I, I, I found it interesting at the very least, so... I'll just end it with that on something that's, you know, sort of, sort of positive, you know, make a recommendation or something like that. Anything else, Justin? Nope. All right. Say the nay. Stop it, listen! Stop it, listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! Get out, humans! Everyone! They're here already! Journey! November 4th, 1988. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kunz, the Tanigarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. All right, well, I, I guess that wraps up our discussion on Marvel's Civil War. We have come out of the someplace cold, and, you know, as we tend to do, we, we like to ended on maybe something warm, you know, something that that we're kind of into. And so my suggestion was, hey, I I can't spend all this time on the podcast. 
ragging on Mark Millar, even though he probably never listens and doesn't care. But I figure, you know what? I'll recommend something that I actually enjoyed reading of his, so it's not all gloom and doom, which was his run on Superman Adventures. And Superman Adventures, just simply put, was the tie-in comic to the Superman animated series by the whole Bruce Tim crew. You know, normally I'm not exactly the biggest advocate of that cartoon, but I remember reading these first in digest format, so it sort of already had that going for it, where you're like, ooh, digests, you know, and like, digests are cool, I guess, depending on what era you read comics in. But I, I have a, a fondness and a soft spot for digests, so a lot of these were released as little digests and everything. And he, he did an odd spattering of issues. Basically, what I did was I sort of wrote these little one-sentence synopses of all the different issues and everything. So I figured I could just go ahead and, like, read those out, and if we want to, like, speak to any of the issues, we can sort of go through those and talk about them and everything. But basically, like, the, the, the majority of the run, you know, obviously it's written by Mark Millar, and most of the art is by a gentleman named Allure Amancio, whose art kind of reminds me... I mean, he, it, it's obviously trying to go for the animated series look, but it, it kind of has a flavor of, like, Jack Kirby or maybe that guy who did uh, cable comics for a long time, the guy whose name is Ladron, who also had sort of a big Kirby flavor to it. And I, I don't know if you guys, either of you, have read this series or not, but he actually went on to do the art on the Superman miniseries. It was like a prestige miniseries called Strength. And it was written by Scott McCloud. I don't know if either of you are familiar with that, but that was a pretty good Superman book as well. Kal-El. This development was highly improbable. Today's been full of surprises. So it's kind of an odd spattering of issues that goes from the teens all the way up to the 40s, but the, the two teen issues are 16 and 19. Issue 16 is titled, Clark Kent Isn't Superman? And, of course, it's this crazy story where Clark Kent isn't actually Superman, but it actually turns out to be Mr. Mitzelplik messing with Superman. So that was, you know, kind of a fun story. And I, I suppose I'll be spoiling and, and revealing a lot of the twists and turns. But, like, I, I think the reason why I kind of like this run is because it's like Mark Millar got to do a bunch of shocking things, but because it was based on, like, a property that's, like, on Underoos and was being marketed to kids, it's like most of it got to be you know, the toys got to be put back in the box nice and neat the way they originally were by the time, like, the story was finished. So, like, it's like he can do all kinds of crazy, like, M. Night Shyamalama ding-dong twists <laughs> in the context of this story. And, and, and that's probably what he's best at. I mean, doing those kind of ostentatious, crazy things where you're like, what? What is this? But, like, I just like the fact that they they cleaned it all up by the end of it, you know? Like, issue 19, of course, features the greatest president ever, Bill Clinton. Just kidding. But, you know, but, but he is in the issue. And basically, Lex Luthor hires this assassin named Multiface, who's kind of like 
Superman's version of the chameleon. He's a master of disguise and assassination. Is is he real or was he a made up character? He's like, pretty much. I'm pretty sure he was made up for this this story. I could be wrong, but I I, I don't know enough. So, but I, I think he was conceived for this. I guess I could look it up and find out. That's one thing I didn't I didn't check, but I'm pretty sure he was created for the um, the animated. Um, comic series, but I'll find out right now. Let's see what it says. Let's see, multi-face, DC animated universe. So yeah, uh, looks like, yeah, just the Superman adventures, and, oh, wait a minute, there is, I don't know if this is right or not, but there is a reference to Brave and the Bold. Oh, Okay. There, 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 there is an old issue of Brave and the Bold that has a character named Multiface. So I was just wondering if he was like a live wire or like a Volcana type creation. I, I, or I think, I think, strictly speaking, it's probably more like that. Like, because cause the only other reference is is an old Brave and the Bold issue, but that doesn't look like it's. It doesn't really look like it's the same character. I mean, it, it seems like it'd be a leap to try and say it's exactly the same. I mean, obviously, they don't look the same. So I thought that the the twist in this was kind of cool because basically when Multiface goes to assassinate Bill Clinton, he disguises himself as Clark Kent. So Superman's like, duh, of course I know that the guy Clark Kent dude. <laughs> didn't I, I was gonna say, didn't they steal this from the '90s Spider-Man cartoon? Like, they didn't probably, the, the the chameleon got caught the exact same way in like his episode? Like yeah, Spider-Man they, they, saw Peter Parker in the crowd. Yeah, I'm sure Millar was was watching uh, the '90s <laughs> Spider-Man cartoon and stuff. The the thing I liked about it too, which I, I found amusing, is you'd think like General Hardcastle would be like you know, the whipping boy for Mark Millar, like, you know, he'd be like one of these, like, you know, General Ross douchebag type guys. And normally on that show, he is, I think, in the animated series. But, like, I thought it was cool that, like, he actually saved Superman, basically. So I was like, oh, that's kind of like, I I don't know, there were a lot of things in this where I read these in the digest format, and I was just happy, like, Superman wasn't going like, or whatever, you know, in it. And it, it just seemed like, to me, you could have somebody draw this as like like if Kurt Swan drew these issues, they'd just be like fun, you know, Bronze Age Superman stories. Almost. That, that's what I was gonna say. Is like the you know the twist. Like these feel like you know Silver Age stories. It's like Clark Kent kills Superman. You'd be like, why? Well, I gotta read yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, like, that's what I thought of when I read these yeah. stories. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I took away from it. You know. Issues 22 and 23 are a two-part storyline called War Games. Uh, It basically begins with all this mysterious computer sabotage all over Metropolis. And, of course, the twist is that this sort of computer terrorist, I guess, actually turns out to be Brainiac up at the Fortress of Solitude, and he ends up trapping Superman in the Phantom Zone. So it looks like everything's doom and gloom because Brainiac's going to take over the Earth, and then in issue 23, the twist is that uh, Lois Lane ends up convincing Livewire, of all people, to help in the fight against Brainiac, and of course Brainiac is very 
hoity-toity and kind of like, what do you think you can do against me? And, of course, she's like, it wasn't you, punk! Like, I freed Superman! You know, it's like, okay. So then they have a cool, you know, round two fight, and, you know, Superman saves the day and everything like that. So, I, you know, like, again, to me, it was just like a fun story, a cool twist. You know, normally you think Livewire would be out to get Superman, but in this case, it's like, well, she's also a native of planet Earth, and, you know, Brainiac taking over wouldn't help her case anyway, so she she basically, you know, kind of does a, a, a rival assist, I guess, is the best way to put it. So. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I liked this story, yeah, because, yeah. like, I like Brainiac, and I like the animated Brainiac, so, yeah. like, I thought this was pretty badass. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I won't be... I, I sort of unabashedly enjoy these, so I, I don't have any, you know, problems with any of the stories or anything. Like, most times, like, see, this, I guess, I could read these really quickly, whereas I think the Civil War stuff, it was, like, sort of a painstaking review of something that I didn't really care for. But this was, like, a nice, fun review of, like, oh, I remember reading these in digests. I remember, I, I have, like, specific memories of going to the, Egyptian theater up on Hollywood Boulevard and that was back when I was like going to see movies like Ultraman the Next and stuff in the theaters and and that was when I had bought these digests and stuff so it's like I think these probably came out like the actual issues probably came out around the time when Superman the animated series was on the air like in the the late 90s but I don't think I actually read these until like the mid you know, like 2003, 2004, or something like that, when the Digest came out. So that was the first time I had ever read them and discovered them and stuff. I guess just moving down the list, issue 24 uh, is a storyline where Parasite ends up stealing Superman's powers. And then, of course, it's this weird thing where uh, I guess there's this lady who heals people with crystals. It's one of these weird, you know, new age crystal healing ladies. And she's kind of a chubby lady, and apparently Rudy was really into her back in the day, and so he kidnaps this lady. And I guess the twist is he does all this stuff and, like, sort of sacrifices himself for this lady, and it turns out it's just some girl he knew, like, in grade school, and they weren't really, like, boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever, so he just sort of... I guess, made up the whole thing in his head or whatever. But I, I still think that, you know, again, like, I enjoyed the issue. I enjoyed the twist. You know, I thought it was kind of fun. So, Yeah, like a, another, like, little, like, clever, like, done-in-one story, basically. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, most of these are done-in-one. There's a couple two-parters. So, I mean, that if, if, if that's something that you're kind of into, like, it, it definitely... Uh, scratches that kind of done in one itch. If you I, I did like uh, the like the girl. I forgot what her name was, but she was like <laughs> when when she's like you know Rudy. Like I don't want to damage your like fragile ego. Like <laughs> like I don't want to like you know disrupt your chakra. But maybe you should like you know absorb my like you know emotions and like you can like, just just see how I really feel about you. And he's like okay. And then he like zaps her and he's like you think I'm a loser? Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think he had fun using like some of the better like Superman villains that were used on the animated series and stuff like that. Issue twenty five is kind of interesting, talking about Batman v Superman because we've got some some elements of Batman coming into the story. Basically, when the Mad Hatter kidnaps Bruce Wayne 
and demands that Batman show up to save him, it's up to Superman and Batgirl to team up and save the day. So this is basically like a Superman Batgirl team up. It's funny because she's actually kind of kind of nasty to Superman like through most of the story until she kind of gets into the groove and stuff. But like, but you know, of course, by the end of the day, they they fix everything, and uh, he he basically like stops the little Tim Drake Robin from like I don't know like taking the Batwing and crashing into like a bunch of skyscrapers or something like that. I forget what exactly was going to happen, but I think he was going to blow up something with the, the Batwing. And of course he had like one of the Mad Hatter's little hat devices and stuff like that. So Superman stopped that. And I think Batgirl shows up and like snaps her dad and, and the whole GCPD force, because it turns out, you know, he was, you know, basically the last place they would look for him is at the police station. So, like, he was actually controlling everybody at the police station and broadcasting from there. And that's that's basically what happened in that one shot. Were you guys, uh, I, I don't know if, I know Justin said he read a couple issues. I don't know if he got this far, but Mike, did you, uh, were, were you were you happy to see some Batman stuff? Did you, did it make any difference or? yeah. Like, I, I liked it, and it, it's not like Batman was, like, shitting all over him and stuff. I mean, no. Bat, Batgirl kind of gave him an airful, but I feel like that's more in her character to do, basically, where yeah. she's she's kind of a perfectionist, and, you know, like, it, I, I enjoyed it, though. I like, I like when Batman, I mean, um, <clears throat> I like when Superman has to team up with Batman's, like, sidekicks, basically. Like, I think that's always a fun time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Issue 26 was this sort of Mitzelplik time travel story. I guess basically, you know, Mitzelplik is tired of getting sent back to the fifth dimension because by this point, Superman sort of has it down to a science. He knows that he comes to Metropolis every 90 days and he's usually quickly prepared and stuff. And so... Mitzelplik's thought is, well, what if I go back to a time before Superman was ready for me? So, of course, he goes back in time to a point in Smallville, which on the animated series probably would be at that point where, in the pilot where he, he's running with his dog and then he leaps off the, the cliff. And it's basically that, that Clark Kent character design where he's in, like, the white t-shirt and jeans and isn't wearing glasses. And so... I guess playing off of that, he sort of introduces a lot of aspects into this issue that are pretty much a bunch of fun Silver Age Superboy concepts and nods. And so by the end of it, that version of Clark Kent is dressed up as Superboy, and he sort of convinces him to, like, go live on the moon because he's going to become an evil dictator or whatever, you know, stuff. And he's, he's basically, like, you know, playing, like, the ultimate prank on on you know he, he's basically doing the ultimate punk i guess on on superman you know by going back in time and and making up all this shit and everything and i guess at that point you know mitzaplik realizes like how boring like his existence would be without like a full-time superman to match wits with and so he basically has to sort of undo everything but it is you know again it's a it's a funny story i i of course I have a great deal of appreciation for the Silver Age Superboy, so this was something that was totally right up my alley, where, you know, it's got, like, crypto references and, you know, fun Superboy stuff, so I, I was into it. 
Issue 27 has a Luther story that where he basically introduces Metropolis to a character called Superior Man, which is funny given that I think Mark Millar has written this like Superman oh, yeah, he's miniseries got called, yeah. called Superior, so I, I thought of that in, in rereading this now. And uh, Superior Man's colors, they, they're kind of inverted colors, so he kind of looks like a white-haired Mon-El, from the Legion of Superheroes, I guess, is the best way to describe them. And it basically, it, it, this character is supposed to be, you know, Superman's replacement. Like, he's the new cool hero on the scene, and, you know, maybe everybody's going to forget about Superman, and he supposedly is an employee of Luther Corps and all this other stuff. But, of course, spoilers, he turns out to be Metallo in disguise. So there, there's that the cool twist to it and everything. And, of course, you know, Superman stops Metallo and everything's hunky-dory. Issue 28, thanks to the bungling of Calabac, Jimmy Olsen and Superman pull a Freaky Friday body swap. So this is kind of a fun story where basically, you know, Calabac attacks Metropolis and then, I guess, due to shenanigans, uh, I think the plan is, like, they. I, I think it was supposed to be, like, Calabac was going to, like, mine Zonk, you know, and, 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 you know, use Superman's body or something like that. But basically something goes wrong, and it basically ends up, you know, Jimmy Olsen gets in the way of the blast. And, you know, so then at that point, you know, Jimmy Olsen is in Superman's body, and he goes to Apocalypse, and you know, is trying to figure stuff out, and meanwhile, like, you know, Superman is actually in Jimmy Olsen's body on, um, on Apocalypse or whatever, so, you know, so that, that's, that's a pretty fun story. Issue 29, I refer to as Bizarro and Lobo's Excellent Adventure! So, I, I, I think this one is probably, like, one of my favorite issues. It's my avatar, because Bizarro, like, comes back from the Bizarro planet, and is all about hitting on, like, the one thing I will say about the art in this, man, like, Lois Lane, like, I don't care how much of a bitch she is, like, in this, she is super hot, man, like, you <laughs> see that avatar? I was, like, looking at that, I was like, damn, like, lo like no wonder Bizarro's, like, falling all over himself and stuff like that. And, like, so, I, I guess the idea is Lobo gets a kick out of it because... You know, Bizarro's stuck on that Bizarro World planet, basically, that Superman left him on with the little, you know, quote-unquote crypto, you know, the, the little, you know, alien monster dog or whatever. And so, like, he basically, Lobo comes across him on that planet, and when Bizarro sort of explains what he wants to do, like, Lobo's like, oh, this'll be a hoot, I hate that Thebe Superman, you know, like, let me, let me give you a ride, you know, like, this'll be awesome. And so they basically go to Earth, and the story is, you know, of course, like, kind of simplistic, you know, like, like, you know, Bizarro's trying to hit on Lois, and Lois is like, I don't know how to break this to you, but I, I'm not really into you that way, <laughs> and everything, and, um, and, and what it ends up, you know, with is that uh, Bizarro ends up making a, a Bizarro Lois duplicate, and then they they all return to Bizarro world. So I, I mean, just I, I like how like it, I think it's in your avatar too. How like Bizarro's just eating a bag of coal like, yeah, for the yeah. whole time. Yeah, yeah. So 
I mean, there's there's all kinds of kooky, backward, bizarro stuff that goes on in that. And, of course, you know, Lobo's just, you know, there for, I guess, the lulls, you know, basically. Like, he's there to, like, beat up on Superman. And then when he finds out, like, bizarre... Like, at some point, like, like Superman literally thinks that Lois got turned into the bizarro monster. And he's like, you monsters, you know, you murdered her. You know, like, what have you done, you know? And then Bizarro's like, me no do that. Like, Lois, I'm fine. You know, like, so it's like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I like Bizarro, and it's a, it's a fun story and everything. The next two issues are one of these, you know, mega epic two-parters. It's uh, 30 and 31. It's titled Family Reunion. And um, this is pretty interesting. It's one of these weird kind of uh, alternate universe stories, basically, where Superman is working on a project with Emile Hamilton, and based on, like, this accident that happens, he gets blasted what, into what he thinks is a year in the future, because when he comes back, he flies back to the Daily Planet, and he's Clark Kent, and it's like, Clark, you've been gone for a year, and he's like, well, that's weird, like, but it turns out it's actually this alternate universe where Ma and Pa Kent are dead, but the Kryptonian parents are still alive. So Jarell and Lara are still alive. And Lara basically is going to have the city of Kryptonopolis take over the Earth. So it's this weird twist on things. It's, you know, kind of like, you know, cert- I guess it's one of those things where it's like they, they did stuff like that in DC where, you know, they brought back, uh, you know, a new Krypton and all this other kind of stuff. And it was n- never a story I was really into. But I think with this, it's not so bad because it's like just a weird alternate universe. And, of course, by the end of this, he can sort of go back to being Superman and the alternate universe can, you know, go the way of the planet of the apes, you know, and Taylor can like just blow it the fuck up and nobody has to ever see it again. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's not so bad. I mean, in in the second part, it's like Jarrell is obviously not on board with the plan to like enslave the planet and everything. So like Jarrell and Superman are both imprisoned and the actual Kal-El of that universe is like brainwashed along with Kara the Supergirl, so they're, like, wearing these white military Kryptonian uniforms, and they're basically, like, attacking the Earth, and, of course, you know, I'm sure people who hate Man of Steel would have a field day with these comics, because, you know, all, all these, you know, poor people are getting attacked and incinerated and all this other stuff, and at this point, even, like, Lex Luthor and Bizarro, Metallo, and the Parasite, like, they all try to make this, like, valiant last stand to, like, fight the the evil Kryptonians and everything, even though it's to no avail. And then uh, Jarrell and Superman stage this jailbreak. Superman lures the the Kryptonopolis attack force back to their home city. And then Jarrell does the whole Taylor thing and is like, "Uh, sorry to trick you, like, good guy Superman from the other universe, but my plan is to blow up all these fucking assholes, and then you'll actually get sent back to your own universe. And then, of course, he does that. And, of course, Superman gets sent back, and then he has, like, this talk with, like, uh, you know, the real Kara and Ma and Pa Kent going, geez, that was horrible, I needed to see you guys alive because you were dead in this other universe, and I was there for, like, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks, but only a few seconds of time have passed, you know, during the, the accident with Emil Hamilton, so... Well, you know me, I like the alternate universe tales, so I really liked this story. Cool, yeah. Uh, I'm always interested whenever they do stories about Krypton, but it it seems like most of the time when they do that, it's like they have to like 
make things shady, be like, oh, this is a story about ancient Kryptonians, but everyone is, like, evil, or, like, right, right, right. or it's like, you know, hey, here's a story about, like, Jor-El, but, like, you know, during this time, he was totally working for Zod, and Zod was doing evil, like... Yeah, it's interesting in this, like, I mean, Jor-El and, and, and our Superman, basically, have some, some good moments, and they share some kind of like, oh, you know, I know, you know, we're not from the same universe, but seeing you alive again, you know, gives me the feels, and then Jarrell's like, I got the feels too, son, I got the feels too, you know, so there's some nice moments there, but yeah, for the most part, it's like Lara is very, you know, hell-bent on, on sort of like this supremacist vision of Earth as like a home for all Kryptonians, and they kind of see human beings as like ants, basically, it's like, it's like, well, we're not murdering anybody. It's like they're they're not higher life forms, you know. It's like Kryptonians are higher life forms, you know. So that's how they sort of justify it and everything. And of course, you know, you know, Superman's not having that, obviously. But you know, it, 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 I guess you know, Kryptonopolis, you know, ends up getting destroyed in that sense. So I guess you you imagine, you know, I don't know, the uh, sort of quote unquote good guy Lex Luthor and all those guys on Metropolis, hopefully, you know, rebuilt themselves out of the ashes but you don't really know what what happened in that case you know so um issue 33 is titled clark ken is superman and i can prove it and this features a shadowy mysterious figure that threatens to expose clark ken as superman to the entire world and of course um spoilers it turns out to be brad from superman 3 you know, the, the, the bully or whatever, or Brad from Superman one, I guess too, you know, it's the, basically, you know, it's like Brad Wilson, like the guy who always used to give me crap is Clark Kent. It's like, I remember you. Remember when you were queen of the prom? All these guys are waiting in line to get a dance with you. There's only one guy in your dance car right now, huh, honey? That's good old Brad Wilson. Hi, Brad. Hi, Ken. Long time no see. I guess they they solved the whole conundrum by doing something that is a favorite trope of yours, Justin. The Batman and Superman disguise themselves, and <laughs> I guess in this case, like they they have Clark Kent come up to give Lex Luthor an interview at his penthouse, and Brad's master plan is to like throw himself off the LexCorp building, and then Superman will be forced to save him, so he thinks, like, Clark Kent is going to change into Superman, and he's like, I'm not Superman, I can't save you! And then, uh, of course, Superman does save him, and then he's like, ha I knew it, you were Superman! But then he sees Clark Kent right in front of him, and so he's like, well, wait a minute, who else isn't here? He's like, oh my gosh, Mr. Luther, I'm... And he's like, don't say that name. I was like, I'll never tell anybody your secret. Sorry, Clark. <laughs> sorry. And then, of course, when they go back to the Batcave, it turns out like that Superman was disguised as Lex Luthor, and Batman was disguised as Clark Kent. So, <laughs> yeah, and they've got these like funny Mission Impossible like rubber, you know, Green Goblin masks or whatever <laughs> hanging on like the little little uh, mantles or whatever. So it's it, it's fun. I mean, it's it's a fun story. And he's like, you know, you you've helped me out plenty of times. Superman, so no problem, you know, it's like, oh, okay, cool, so they're buddies, they're friends, you know, nobody's fighting each other, and 
ha- holding anybody's neck by the throat. You know, it's, it's it's all good stuff. So I'm I'm sad it wasn't like Kenny Braverman. It wasn't like uh, Conduit yeah, or something. Yeah. But. I, I I got a kick out of it because you know that, to me like I'm like I I remember like like there uh, a friend of mine was gonna make some kind of like Superman short film or whatever in college and like he was gonna have like. Kenny and Brad, like, both of them, you know, so it was, like, supposed to acknowledge, like, oh, both bullies, you know, or whatever, but, you know, I, I don't know. I get a kick out of it, because the guy's from, you know, the, the Christopher Reeve movies and stuff, so. And it's interesting, too, because that character, of course, never appeared, well, Kenny Braverman didn't appear either on the animated series, but Brad was never a character that, uh, that was on the, um, the animated series either, so. Issue 34 is titled Sanctuary. It features Dr. Fate, who is on the case when this ancient demon possesses Lois Lane with the intent to take over the Man of Steel himself. Uh, Basically, it ends up resulting in a Dr. Fate versus a demonically possessed Superman. But the twist is that it's not a demon at all. It's just an innocent alien who jumps from body to body and actually just wants to go back to its home planet. So then it jumps into Superman's body, Superman flies him back to his home planet, and then everything's happy. So that's Sanctuary. Issue 35 is Never Play with the Toy Man's Toys. And that is basically when a Toy Man copycat starts a crime wave in Metropolis, it's up to Superman to stop him. And when it turns out to be Vito Mannheim, Bruno Mannheim's little brother, the real toy man seeks payback, vengeance, revenge. 36 is This is a Job for Superman, which is basically just kind of like a day in the life of Superman. Like, it, it's got Superman doing Superman-y things throughout the day. <laughs> you know, he stops these inner gang thugs from robbing a bank who are all kind of like Mr. Freeze wannabes. So, of course, that validates my Superman is better than Batman sensibility, where I'm like, see, <laughs> see, the, the Superman takes out, like, four Mr. Freezes. <laughs> Batman has a tough time with just one. <laughs> he takes out, like, terrorists on a plane. A bunch of gangs and riots are stopped. He saves pregnant women. He helps out uh, heart transplant patients because the the heart was on the plane that was hijacked by terrorists and he also finds time in all of that to use his super hearing to hear the pleas of a child who has lost his dog and returns the dog to him and of course the dad's like wow through all that how could he find the time to do that too and of course the kid gives the answer that every good fan knows if you're a fan of Superman is how can Superman do the things that Superman does? Because he's Superman. Yeah. So that's, that's that was always that was always my answer to everything. It's like what cuz he's the bestest. Like so he's the bestest. He's the bestest. That's 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 the answer for for everything. Issue 37 Clark Kent, Public Enemy, uh, another fun one. Clark Kent is robbing banks uh, while Superman is saving rovers on the planet Mars? How can this be? Of course, it is Multiface. He's making a comeback, and he wants revenge, so he disguises himself as Clark Kent, so Clark Kent gets stuck in jail. Of course, Superman gets sent to solitary, breaks out of jail, saves Lois and Jimmy and all kinds of stuff, and stops Multiface. Issue 38 is titled, If I Ruled the World, 
features what I thought was a pretty clever idea, although I wasn't sure if this was actually feasible, but they decided it is. Parasite basically is there when Mitzelflick shows up, torment Superman, and he actually drains Mitzelflick of his powers and uses them for himself. So basically like Superman and Mr. Mitzelflick have to do a basically a rival fusion or a team up to stop the parasite, um, which, you know, that was pretty fun. And then I guess the last Mark Millar story is issue 41. Th- this is a little complicated, so it's, it's hard to describe in a single kind of short beat synopsis, but the, the story is titled on the cover is 22 stories in a single bound, and basically it's kind of like every page of the comic is drawn by a different artist, and it's almost like there are 22 individual comic strips from Superman the Animated Series. You know, some of them are, like, Superman saving the day. Some of them focus on, like, specific characters, whether it's, like, Jimmy Olsen or Lobo or Lois Lane or Bibbo or Lex Luthor or whoever. So, but basically it's, like, 22 sort of separate, like, little comic strips that are not really related, you know, it's not like one whole giant story, but kind of gives you, like, the wider picture of Metropolis and Superman and his supporting cast and stuff, and and, and in some cases, villains, you know, like, there's a little short with, like, Darkseid going, like, you know, well, what do you want to do? And he's like, I, I want to do more, ha, 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 you know, or whatever, so, you know, there's there's stuff like that. But that that's basically, like, the entire... Malar run, and I, I just wanted to talk about that and sort of end this on a on a happy good note because I uh, th- these kind of stories ironically uh, make me smile, you know, like whereas the other stuff makes me kind of like grumpy and sad. And he angry. he also wrote issue fifty two. I don't know if oh, you reread oh. that, but no, no, I didn't. Okay. It's it's the one where Supergirl is like dying of some like. Argonian disease or something and like Superman and Lex Luthor team up to like make like the the cure for it but it turns out there's like an element that isn't uh, found on earth and like Luthor like claims he's like re like like recreated it but then he at the the last second he's like I'm not gonna give it to you Supergirl's gonna die (laughs) and like then like Superman's I, I I forget what happens but like Superman gets blackmailed into like he like he'll Luthor will save Supergirl if Superman like kills himself so like he's going to do it but then when he 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 goes to say goodbye to Supergirl he does like an ash from Pokemon and cries on her and like her his tears turn out to have like the missing element that she needed to like to be cured and then yeah but it, 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 that was a pretty good uh, one shot issue yeah cool cool yeah, I, I, I was just going to wrap up with the idea, like, that, like, even through whatever the solutions are in those stories, like, especially, like, the fights he had with Lobo and Brainiac in that two-parter with Livewire, or even when he just stops, like, the terrorists and stuff like that in the issue where it's kind of like a day in the life of Superman, like, what I really liked about it is, and it's kind of what I had said before, that, like, Kurt Swan could have drawn these and they would have been good you know, bronze or silver age Superman stories, like his power levels are fine. Like it's like a bomb shows up and he just squishes it with his hands. It's not like this fucking stupid shit about, you know, somebody mowing him down with a machine gun and him going like, or whatever, you know, like, so I, I, I think that's part of, you know, what sort of 
drew me to those stories as well. He just didn't seem like a sort of like a, a depowered character just because the writers couldn't think of a, a decent threat for him or something like that. But yeah, that's that's pretty much that. That's what I got on the uh, Superman Adventures, the Mark Millar run. I don't know if you guys have any any other comments you want to say before we move on to awesome thing of the week. I I really enjoyed these. Um, uh, like I had read them before, but like I I happily like read them again. Like when you like suggested this topic, and I feel like these are the kind of stories that like. I don't know when people complain about like, you know, we got to get a character back to basics or something. And like, you know, these are the kind of stories that like, you know, would be ideal for telling. But I guess it's since they're like under the banner of like an animated like tie in or something, they get kind of overlooked or, you know, yeah. like looked down upon. But I don't know, like this is no, the- I, I fully admit I, I can be guilty of that. You know, like I, I know, especially when you have a, a finite source of income or money or sometimes, you know, you you're you're kind of, I guess, you know, kind of like what Justin was saying before about the whole no prize environment. I mean, there there certainly was a environment of like, well, I want to read the real quote unquote book, you know, like like the real Superman book and instead of like a, a tie-in book or whatever to a to an animated series or something but but yeah I, I I tend to agree these days whether it's you know something like Superman family adventures that's not really tied into any animated series but isn't quote unquote the real book it's like sometimes the the non quote unquote real books have a lot better Superman stories than than the actual books can you know at any given time period so yeah. I I I never read these before and I I think I think I did dismiss them because they were a cartoon tie-in and I just I was just like man I'm not going to read this but like I was surprised to you know like <laughs> like when you proposed this show and you suggested that I was like wait what like and you said it was going to be a good thing I was like well I'm going to have to I was like, I didn't doubt you, but I was like, well, I'm not to read it for myself and see. <laughs> well, it does sound weird coming from me because yeah. I know I, yeah. I usually, you know, I, I I have my piece to say about the, the whole Bruce Tim treatment of Superman, the animated series, and all that stuff. But I mean, I I I hope I've articulated why I you know enjoy them, and obviously, like you you sort of have read some of them for yourself, so now you're kind of like, oh, I you know you kind of get where. Where I'm coming from, I guess, you know, with with in regards to like this patch of stories and everything. And I, I think, you know, that that says something too because DC or, or at least DC used to they used to have this line of like, you know, superhero comics for kids, and I dismissed those until a few years ago, and I, I found the the Billy Batson and the Magic of Shazam. Like I really oh, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I guess that just goes to show like you shouldn't always be so dismissive of like the you know the cartoon tie-ins or like you know the the comics that are just for like you know seven or eight year olds or whatever. Yeah, so that's that that's kind of what I was going for. I, I hope that's a good way to sort of conclude our our Civil War slash Superman adventures slash you know, Mark Millar, Captain America, Civil War movie tie-in, you know, kind of have a, the full gamut of, you know, like the the hate and the anger making us powerful, but also, you know, as some fun stuff that, that makes us smile and, and kind of reminds you why you fell in love with reading comics. So what's it? 
My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just be reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. But I guess what we can do now is go to our regularly scheduled segment that we always like to do on the proper shows, which is our... What is awesome in your world this week? And I'm looking at a funny-looking Peter Parker. It looks like he ate, I don't know, some weird peanut butter when he's unmasking in front of... uh, in front of the world on That's television. Like, it's, it's from a cover of Civil War Frontline, Frontline. and I, I always thought it. I was like, is that Chris Catan? Like, <laughs> it's like Peter Spider Man is secretly Chris Catan. Like, <laughs> Peter Parker is Mister Peepers. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> uh, so, so what's your what's your awesome thing of the week? Well, my long quest is over. I've been trying to build a Thanos, like build a figure, <laughs> like. Like like a Marvel Legends Thanos build a figure, and I for the last couple months, and like I I like I I started out thinking, well, I'll just buy like the individual parts, like that'll be cheaper, you know. And uh, it turned out no, that's not like it did not turn out that way. And like his right leg, which comes with like the Captain America Age of Ultron Captain America, I think. Like, man, like, that was, that eluded me for the last, like, friggin' month and a half. Because I guess that cap is, like, ridiculously rare yeah, that, now. That for, was strange. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't really you wouldn't get know it. it yeah. but, like, I don't know. Like, uh, there's plenty of cap figures. I was like, why is this one so fucking rare? Like, and, like I was getting so frustrated because it's like Hasbro Toy Shop had every figure from that wave except <laughs> that cap. What, like, what did I, like, I, I sent you that one link about the loose part. What happened with that? Was, oh, was it, it, it turned right out. Part? Yeah, it wasn't. It was the other leg. Cause uh, I, okay. I was, it was like the left leg, and he okay. comes with the right leg. Okay. But okay. like, I finally got one on eBay for like fifteen bucks, which is you know more than I wanted to spend. But I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna find it any cheaper, probably. So I finally yeah. completed him. But like, I was like, I was like, finally, like, uh, uh, like my frustration has ended. But like for a while there, I was like, this is some kind of conspiracy to keep this like part out of my hands or something 
Yeah, that's, but, that's that's why I feel like, I mean, I don't know, like, I, I feel like even though I make these, like, broad statements of if they make character X, I'm never buying it or whatever, but, like, I, I always feel like it's a lot easier in today's day and age just to get the damn case and be done with it, you know? Yeah, definitely, but, yeah, so Marvel Legends Build-A-Figure Thanos, uh, he's standing on my desk right now facing off against my Avengers team, so Woo-hoo. it's pretty cool, so, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, how about you, Justin, my man? I see, I see the the Hercules shining moment, pinnacle moment in Civil War, stating, "Thou art no Thor" when he clobbers Clor in the face. So, what's your awesome thing of the week, man? I have two awesome things. First is I've got the Ultra Act Ultra Seven figure. And uh, he's really awesome. Ultra 7 is my favorite of the Ultras, and that's probably due to watching Ultra 7 on TNT when I was a kid and you know, falling in love with Ultraman that way. And this is the third Ultra Act I have, and I think, you know, I, I have I, I have Taro and Mebius, and I think 7 is my favorite. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, just I like the look of him, and he's my favorite. My second awesome thing is I recently watched the 112263 miniseries on Hulu. And this is based on the Stephen King novel, and I, you know, I've read the novel several years ago, and I really liked it. So when it was announced they were going to make a miniseries out of this, I was like, mm, I don't know, you know, it's, you know, I, I'm one of those people who were always like the book was better, you know, like I'm, I'm one of those people. But like th- this was a really enjoyable miniseries, and for the most part, it's really accurate. There, there are a few plot points that they leave out or change a little bit, but it doesn't, you know, it's. It, it doesn't affect the overall story, I guess. But like, if you know, if you enjoy like Stephen King or you know the Kennedy assassination or you know time travel, like they do some, they do a few interesting time travel like I, I, ideas. Like I never, I don't think I've ever seen it like portrayed like this before. Because in the story, it's like they have this portal in like a, a deli or something, like a little diner, and it only it all. It goes to like October twenty twenty first, like nineteen sixty or something, and it it always goes to that specific point in time. And if you like go back in time and change something and come back, and then you go back into the portal, like whatever you did the first time, like that's erased. Like you you would have to like do it again if you wanted to 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 do that. And uh, the the, okay. the other the other concept is like whenever he tries to change something. Whether it's something big or just like you know something, I guess like that was something that would be considered small, like changing, you know, someone's life in the past, like saving someone or killing someone. Like the 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 concept is the past doesn't want to be changed. The past has to happen, and it pushes back, and it will throw obstacles in in your way. Like your car will break down. Like you know, some random guy in the street will like run into you and like you know knock you down or or, or something like that. But like I, I always liked the book, and this was a really good adaptation of the book. Like it's it's eight or ten episodes long, I think, but you can watch it for free on Hulu, and uh, I really liked it. Cool, man, that sounds awesome. I I, I think that's interesting. It kind of reminds me of the whole fixed point in time thing. You know, it's immutable. Like you can't change it or something like that. Like that's it's kind of what it sounds like, but a way of like you know, Mother Nature will find a way. Well, it's kind of like Mother Nature in time travel will find a way or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, like that that kind of idea. But, yeah, that that does sound cool. I'll, I'll do my awesome thing of the week real quick. I was 
thinking for a long time about getting a tablet, and the reason why I was thinking about it was not so much for, I don't know, browsing or computer reasons, but I, I really just wanted to have one, because most of my comics reading these days is digital, and, you know, I, I don't mind reading things on my laptop or on my phone or things like that. It doesn't bug me, but I, I did kind of want something in terms of a tablet, and what I ended up choosing was a uh, Lenovo Mix. It's the 300 version, so it's kind of like the basic version. It was about like 220 bucks or something like that. You know, so far so good. I got it on Friday, and I mean, it, it does what I want it to do. I mean, it's a, it's a Windows-based tablet, so it's got Windows 10. The reason why I wanted a Windows-based one was so it was really easy to connect to the shares I had set up on some Western Digital Cloud Drive so I can access, you know, videos or pictures or comics or anything like that. And yeah, it totally serves my purpose. And I ended up reading Silver Surfer issue number two with it, which was a pretty cool comic, which also kind of, it reminded me of, and I, I wrote this on Bot Talk already, but it kind of reminded me of the Fraction Aja issue where like in Hawkeye, where like Spider-Woman and... Black Widow and, and, and Mockingbird were all in the issue, along with, like, the current, you know, redheaded chick girlfriend or whatever, where it's, like, one of these, like, uncomfortable, like, oh, like, everybody's meeting everybody, this is weird, like, everybody's seen my dick here, you know, or whatever, like, that kind of thing. Like, I guess in Silver Surfer 2, like, he's he's running around, you know, the universe with this cool girl named Dawn. And so, at, at another point, you know, they're, they're on Earth and everything, and he, you know, of course, when he needs help because there's a threat coming to Earth, he's like, well, I'll go and see the Fantastic Four. And, of course, he goes to the Baxter building, and they're like, oh, the Fantastic Four doesn't live here anymore, like, Parker Industries bought it. He's like, what? Outrageous! Like, this is crazy. Well, fine, I'm going to get the Avengers. And he goes to Avengers Mansion, and it's like, the Avengers don't live here anymore. Like, and he's like... Man, remember when I told you the universe was reset, Don Greenberg? Like, like somebody must have reset it all messed up, because nothing's where I remember it anymore. And he ends up going to see Alicia Masters, and of course at that point she's kind of like, wait, you're, you mean like you, you rode around the spaceways with another girl besides me? You know, and it's like, um, yes. And it's like, and she sculpts all these people? It's like, um, yes. And, and then she's like, you know... This butt that was sculpted of yours is really accurate. And he's like, um, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> you know, I'm going to surf away now. I, I don't know if you guys want spoilers or not, but to add, I don't know, insult to former girlfriend injury, it turns out like the big threat is actually from Zenlaw, and everybody on Zenlaw is quote-unquote evils. And the person that's coming to make everything even more evils pulls off her helmet, and it's... Shalabal! So it's like... A his beloved big, Shalabal? Yeah, his beloved <laughs> Shalabal. So it's like a big, it's a big, like, old girlfriend fest, which cracked me up to no end. So I thought it was pretty awesome. So, yeah, that's my, my awesome thing, reading Silver Surfer on my new Lenovo tablet. So there you go. Shalabal. All right, well, I guess that wraps up this episode. If you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can email us at fanholespodcast 
at gmail.com. We, of course, are on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. We have plenty of spin-off shows aside from the proper podcast, which we try to release at least on monthly, maybe bi-monthly schedule. We have Mobile Suit Mondays, Toku Thursdays, Transformers Tuesdays, and Sentai Saturdays. So we hope you enjoyed listening to this proper show, and we hope you are invigorated and interested in checking out all the spin-off shows as well. And we are on tons and tons of social media. You can reach us on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. We are on Stitcher Radio, where you can stream us, and we are on iTunes. So we do appreciate any likes and feedback, retweets, all that kind of good stuff. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike, and whose side are you on? And if you say Iron Man, I all know you're a bad person. <laughs> you fucking fascist. Hey, this is Justin, and I'll be over here working on my sculpture of Black Widow's butt. Mm. <laughs> Butts. believe you guys made me fucking read this shit again. <laughs> now what I know is another dick move that Iron Man pulled off was tackling Spider-Man before he even left Stark Tower. I mean, isn't that like, you know, shoplifting 101? Like you wait for them to leave the premises before you like, you know, jump on them? I was, like, waiting that whole time in that run, because it's like, it's like, oh, he gave him a suit of armor. Like, I'm sure he's got an off switch. But then it was, like, supposed to be this, like, clever, clever thing of, like, I knew you had an off switch, so I made an off switch for your off switch. Off switch. Yeah. You know? That, that was like, a, yeah, that what? was another okay. weird thing. Like, even even in Frontline, where, like, uh, Peter's, like, with Ben Yurick, and Peter's, like, cacking the firewall on the computer. Like, I've never seen Peter Parker being a type of, like, computer nerd or anything. Like, I don't know. I like, thought, I thought, I thought he... it was weird that, like, he hacked it from Ben Yurick's apartment, and then he's like, but if anybody shows up, you better pretend you didn't hack. And I'm just like, what difference does that make? Like, like, I didn't know, sorry. I certainly didn't do any hacking on this computer. <laughs> I, I totally swear, like, pinky swear, like, I didn't do it. And they'd be like, oh, okay, that's okay then. What I also thought was, was well, like, a power level, like, like discrepancy was when Wonder Man got taken out by the Green Goblin. Like, I was like, wait, what? That, what? Okay. Where did that happen? In in Frontline. Like, oh, yeah. he, that he, was in, like he, he's one of the registered guys, and they, like, sort of Shanghai him into, like, tracking down all those um, Atlantean sleeper cells or whatever, 
And then before you know it, like, he hears somebody cackling in the background, and you're, like, not supposed to know who it is. And then I think he, like, wakes up or something. Like, doesn't he get, like, knocked? He gets hit by, like, a bunch of pumpkin bombs or something. Yeah. And And it's like, what? Like, what, the guy who can hit with the power of Thor's hammer is taken out by a fucking pumpkin bomb? I also found, like, all those, like, comparisons to real life like war events like yeah, it those to be super pretentious and like it, well, not only is it super pretentious you know what it's like and, and maybe justin will fill me on this and we'll have a chuckle about it but it's like you know those parts in watchmen you skip because they're all the pirate fucking comics yeah like it, it, there's this there there's this feature in frontline where every single issue whether it's related to the Civil War or some other fucking historical thing, it's like he grabs, like, I don't know, like a Robert Frost poem or some stupid shit, and then it's like the next couple pages are like the actual historical event paralleled with, like, fucking uh, prodigy drunk fighting with Iron Man, and you're just like, this sucks. The, The best part of Frontline... Um, is in the background of a certain scene where you see like Venom putting typeface through a car or something, uh, and it's like I, yeah, I typeface forgot, is dead. I forgot about typeface because I was like, he's such a mort. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know how you exactly feel about Paul Jenkins' run on Spider Man, but man, I can't i mean that that's one of those like eras that i just can't stand like and it's like i was like oh yeah i forgot about like he put all his pet characters in this frontline book and i'm like i was like get that fucking typeface out of my face man yeah that frontline thing (laughs) i forgot how much i i disliked that (laughs) i never read it (laughs) You know, you know what, like, like to me, like, I'm like, man, that was, like, the, like, uh, n- not that there weren't awful events before Civil War, but, like, that frontline thing, I'm like, that was the first time they ever did anything like that, and then it was, like, after that, every fucking Marvel event. Yeah, like, had to have, a, like, you know, a frontline. Like, Muppet Babies, frontline, and it's <laughs> like, come on, man, this is fucking ridiculous. I mean, it just milked the shit out of this stuff. And I'm like, come on, man. You, you can't just have the regular Muppet Babies fucking thing. No, we got a Muppet Babies. Muppet Babies. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> like, this is bullshit. <laughs>